0: Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today, no, because I'm going to get him!
1: Welcome to this edition of the Hagman Report, day number 468 of the Donald Trump Let's Drain the Swamp Presidency, and it is May 2nd so wednesday 2018 wednesday may 2nd 2018 thanks for joining us a lot of stuff to get into uh first opening story i i, I think this is a story that that needs to be told that needs to be shouted from the rooftops i know I, I opened my or i didn't open well yeah i did open my show with it this morning i know i know john and joe together talked about this uh this situation mm-hmm. together as well during the course of their show a gentleman by the name of michael caputo a uh uh, a man. If you know his history, you've got to know his history. You've got to know what he has done for our country and his background, uh, his association working on behalf of the American government uh, with with Russia and, and Russian situations. Okay, it's 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 going to be misconstrued, obviously, by the left. But called to testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee, just questions, and uh, he made a, a, a heck of a statement today. I made uh, quite a, quite a, quite a huge statement. And, um, if you don't know the story, uh, of course, the fishing expedition of the Mueller investigation. I, folks, I told you this was going to happen. I've been warning you for countless, at least for at least a year, this was a tactic of the, uh, Progressive or communist left I'm not going to say progressive anymore Uh, Remind me not to say progressive left anymore But this is a tactic of the communist left The communist left's visceral hatred Of Donald Trump And visceral hatred of any supporter Of Donald Trump And visceral hatred of those people Who are exposing uh, the truth Or even at the periphery Of of the uh, Trump campaign periphery of everything are being shredded their lives are being ruined they're uh, being brought in to testify and of course anytime that you're brought in before a legal body whether it's the senate the house it doesn't matter the fbi you better be represented by an attorney and anytime you are faced with questioning you better be represented by an attorney it doesn't matter if you're completely innocent. You've done nothing wrong. That's just the way it is. And, uh, of course, that has its expenses. How many attorneys want to represent someone, regardless if they did anything wrong or not? Uh, you hire a criminal defense attorney just to make sure all of the T's are crossed and I's are dotted, and then uh, you go in and, and you testify. That's a, a huge expense. And the uh, this gentleman was was called uh, He lives in Buffalo, not too far from here, a stellar reputation, worked uh, for the Bush administration as well. He was, served briefly as a communications director for the Trump campaign for a very brief period of time. And in that in in the vast net, this fishing net was caught up in the Russian collusion probe by the Mueller investigation. And his life was
2: sh- just shredded. Not criminally charged. That's right. Go Not ahead. Not being sued. Go ahead. He is only, uh, been, been cooperating with the Robert Mueller investigation through the, what is it, the Senate Intelligence Committee? The Senate Judiciary Committee. Senate Judiciary Committee. And he basically is saying that they have placed these burdensome demands so much so that he had to sell his own house more than $125,000 of legal expenses since the beginning of this investigation with no charges no end in sight and no evidence of any wrongdoing but there's no end in sight he also said on the radio he blames every single one of these people for what's happening to his family citing death threats that are coming at him every week um, a month ago he had a piece of a sniper rifle mailed to him that his wife, his wife. Had opened open yeah. up yeah and how about this? This is one of the, the most fascinating things I learned about in this story. Caputo's testimony on Tuesday leaned heavily on news that a shadowy group of wealthy donors have spent $50 million to continue the work that resulted in the pre-election Steele dossier of the salacious claims against Trump. The dossier's creator, former British British spy Christopher Steele, wrote that... Um, Oh, and others. Let me go back up here. Uh, Christopher Steele was hired. Fusion GPS was hired by this law firm, and I've uh, got the name right here. Oh, goodness. Uh, okay, it? but understand this. In
1: addition to the Steele dossier, or, or that Steele dossier that went through the FBI Department of Justice, there's a second dossier that was authored by Cody Shearer and Sid Blumenthal. And that's the phase two of the Devin Nunes investigation. The law firm, uh, one of the law firms is Perkins Cooey. The other law firm, I understand which one you're talking about. I don't, I don't have my notes handy here. But yes. The, the, Pen the, Quarter. Okay. okay. Or, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, the PQG, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Now, the, the situation with this, just so everyone understands. As i've been saying the coup is ongoing we've been saying this the coup is ongoing it is still go it's still taking place he is uh... this is against donald trump and anyone uh... anyone uh, embracing the donald trump agenda uh, ideology you were talking about this second uh... or, or this second group which represents the hillary clinton faction the uh, sid blumenthal cody shearer i spoke about this at length today that was the actually that was the title of my program but caught up in all of this just just to go back to michael caputo folks understand uh his testimony he uh today in front of the senate please listen to this impassioned testimony he said that um let let me uh let me just uh make sure i'm quoting this correctly In, in his closing statement he said that the panel's investigation into him it forced his family out of their home crushed his children due to mounting legal costs associated with the inquiry he said that today i cannot possibly pay the attendant legal costs and live near my aging father raising my kids where i grew up your investigation and others into the allegations of trump campaign collusion with russia are costing my family a great deal of money more than $125,000. now that's in his case and making a visceral impact on my children This is, by the way, this is a visceral impact, uh, visceral hatred of the, of the Donald Trump and every one of us, every one of us, that's you and I, who support, or or Donald Trump, or more broadly, who support making America great again, or the agenda thereof. And now Caputo, Joe, he did mention about Feinstein's former campaign, legislative, Aid staff, or whatever his name is, or whatever his title is, uh Daniel Jones, mm-hmm. remember that he name now. it a lot? yeah, <laughs> was one of two sources in a recent McClatchy report that uh, about Donald trump's personal lawyer michael Cohen, and I'm going off a little bit here sideways,
2: but you well, geez, done a wrong in fact, good old Dan has been raising and spending millions to confirm the unconfirmable, and of course, to keep all his old Intel colleagues up to speed on what fusion g p s and British Russian spies have found. Of course Dan's in touch with you guys We know from the news that he's been briefing Senator Mark Warner Vice Chairman of this committee which one of you works for Senator Warner Please give Danny my best Then he goes on Uh He talks about how the news Is being shaped By the special counsel And the media In order to keep the Russian narrative In the news and it's all being drummed up Through the fake uh Dossier claims And as you said they continue to uh, and he goes through details of different stories and, uh, points of, uh, and it's, it's a good article. I, it's at the Daily Mail. But. Well, the, the take, I just want to say this. He uh, says investigators, the, the investigations need investigators. Meaning. The, yes. the Current investigations, the special counsels and whatnot, you need whole new investigations to investigate the practices, not only of the DOJ and FBI, but also of Robert Mueller and what he's been doing. And it's it's unfortunate. I mean, well, it, when it, does it end? Exactly. In
1: Caputo's interview, by the way, uh wh- wh- before the panel listed or lasted approximately three hours. Now, Caputo said that he was asked about approximately 20 people affiliated with the Donald Trump campaign and whether he was aware of whether any of them had any affiliations or were, were in touch with any Russian officials. His answer, of course, was the same for all of them. No, no. But he did say. Um, in fact, he said uh, just a couple of, of takeaway sa- uh, statements here. Um, he, looking at the panel, he said, uh, "You, you're all in this together. You are the swamp." And as you said, Joey, called for an investigation of the investigators. Uh, he wanted to know who was the coordinating who was coordinating this attack on the president. But he, no, no. no, listen to this statement and, and I would ask if, you, if you've got any children understand there's gonna be a a uh uh there's gonna be a, a an expletive here. But I think it I think it's I honestly this I, I think it's warranted in the way it is used. He said forget about all the death threats against my family. I want to know who cost us so much money? Who crushed our kids? Who forced us out of our home? All because you lost an election. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. And then he said this: "I want to know, because." And then he said, "God damn you to hell!" All right. Now, if that's offensive to you, if that if that statement is offensive, if if that's what you find offensive. I would ask that you look a little bit deeper and get over, get over that, get over it. Look a little bit deeper because I don't believe that's using God's name in vain. I I I believe that is actually a wish or a a prayer by this man. And and I told you this was coming, and and here it is. This is the new, this is the the, uh, the revenge tactic. Because you see, I can relate to this guy. Steve Quayle myself being accused of the very same thing about being involved in, in, in Russian being Russian operatives and our names being submitted to the investigators by people who just don't like us. Yeah.
2: And is that is that the whole uh angle of the special prosecutor just because this guy used to work in Russia? Yeah. And then because he worked on the Trump campaign, that equals collusion. That that's what I mean.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, there, there, there's no. When you look at this in the Buffalo News and WGRZ out of and WBEN, when you look at the news, and, and because he's from Buffalo, he's. And I've got a lot of friends in Buffalo, and in fact, I got somebody who knows this man quite well. And you look at his background. There's absolutely no basis to believe any of this. And, and but now, there's one thing I want to caution people on because. There are people, good meaning, well meaning people, conservatives saying, well, this smacks of McCarthyism. No, stop using that phrase. Stop using the word McCarthyism. McCarthyism is, 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 it's wrong. McCarthy was correct. McCarthy was 100% absolutely accurate. His delivery might not have been the best. Certainly he didn't have the best demeanor. Yeah, he liked to, you know, tip the bottle a little bit. However, he was correct, so please stop you stop saying this is McCarthyism, because McCarthy was right. the House on American Activities Committee was right. the tidings panel they were they were correct. there was communist infiltration mm-hmm. in in America. This is not that. This is a a visceral hatred of a man who won an election and they lost an election, but it's more than that. Go back to what Diana West the author had said it's more than an election. it is the taking away of the of the it is the loss, however temporary and they want to make a temporary of this this funneling of the ideology that uh of of collectivism but see here the bottom line is this all right. The hatred, the pathologic the hatred is pathological, mm-hmm. and we are all targets. And and I say that not to say poor us, poor him. But when you start shelling, you have to shell out, you know, fifty and one hundred and a quarter for the most asinine, baseless, meritless accusations, simply because they're dishing out a little bit of payback. That's the new tactic of the communist left. We're here now diamond and silk being censored, being cost, the the, uh, the revenue uh, being upset and, and, and interrupted and lost. They're, all the stops are out. They are pushing against all of us.
2: And it, you know what's really interesting about that? Many people assume that under a Donald Trump presidency that somehow he would be able to control the whole, what we call, you know, the swamp or the deep state apparatus. And I think the Trump presidency shows us Exactly, uh, in, in a very good way, what a president can do versus what the rest of the government can do. And when you have a president moving in one direction with the agenda and you have the rest of the government, you know, moving away from what the president's doing, you have what we see here in our, in this government. The deep, it continues to move forward with their agenda, regardless of who's in office. But imagine how much faster that agenda would go with somebody like a Hillary Clinton in there or an Obama or even a Mitt Romney. And you can see how much the deep state's impact and agenda continues to move forward, even under Trump, in places like the EPA and, you know, wherever they can get it. With the omnibus spending bill, it's another example. And you're right, the the hatred for Trump. It's not only a hatred for Trump, It's it's more of a hatred for the people who voted for and still support President Trump, because it is a spiritual battle at its core. And when you have, you know, adults screaming at children because they have Trump shirts on, or students getting suspended from schools, or, uh, rappers who say that they support the president, not even his agenda or ideas, just support the president. And other rappies, rappers calling on gangs to, to, to attack, you know, the, the Kanye West for, for saying he supports President Trump. And everybody else, you know, Dr. Phil saying, oh, he, he's mentally unstable now. Yeah. The, 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 really? But Dr. Phil? Come on. What
1: happened? Well. It's bad this is beyond ridiculous, so I would urge everyone you know, look, we can win on the numbers. I believe here's I didn't say all that to say poor poor Mr. Caputo or poor diamond and silk or poor us or poor anybody. I didn't say that. just realize where the fight is at, because we can win if we stick together, if we support one another, we can win, we can win on the numbers we could we could if we stand our ground, Americans, conservatives. The conservative America, Christian conservatives, we don't have a problem with intolerance. We've got a problem with tolerance. We tolerate too much. I've said that before. We can win. We can win on the numbers alone. All we've got to do is coach Dave, America's coach always says, just show up. We can win by showing up. If we stand up and be, and, and, and and say, we're not going to take this anymore. We are going to push back against your nefarious agenda. We, just like Mr. Caputo said, Who's who's paying for this? Who's investigating the investigators? Let's all do that. You get called to you get called to testify. No, you know what? We're paying your salary. Somebody gets censored on Facebook, or or if because see that there's a lot of self censoring going on. Oh, I better not type that because they might ban me. You know what? Type it in bold. Send it five times. And if someone if someone you see gets censored by what they say, make sure you capture what, what what their message is and send it out fifty times. Fight back! Enough is enough because we can win on the numbers. These these communists in this country they're they're mentally ill. They're sick. They've got a sick, twisted, convoluted ideology. All they're interested is is payback. But you know what? We can win. We've got God on our side. I believe, and we can win because we. We are on the side of righteousness. I believe that's my belief. If you don't believe me, then then fine, go elsewhere. You you don't have to you don't have to believe me. But enough is enough. Let's take this country back, like Donald Trump said we were going to do it. Let's take this country back. Let's grow a spine. Let's kick the people out that need to be kicked out. Let's let's stuff a sock in the mouths of of people, metaphor you know, figuratively speaking, that need shutting up. Yeah, I got to tell you, you know look at some people
2: and you got to say man that boy ain't right in the head and a lot of people hurt. like that it's going to hurt to get that done you're going to need to take personal sacrifices and do it let's do you it you have this um you know, we're going to need a game plan but everybody needs to get involved otherwise you know if people are not if there's no skin in the game what are you really fighting for and it's it's only going to get worse the the media is never going to stop as long as Donald Trump is president the media the entertainment uh, industry The top levels of of politics and business are never going to stop. It's only going to get worse. They're only refining their attacks. They're only using uh, what has worked in the past and and trying to revamp it to come against them. They're only going to get more ludicrous and and more vile, like we saw with the White House Correspondence Dinner. They're never going to quit. So we either have to sit back and take it with the censorship or we fight back against it. There's only two options. And how many people out there want to sit back and take it and let it happen? I don't think any of our listeners do, so we need to find a way in our own individual lives where we can affect the most change, or affect any change.
1: However, Karen, I just saw I just saw the chat fly by. All the anger makes things worse. You know, grab that anger and grab that anger. No, you know what? It's about time we get angry. the 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 problem in this country is conservatives haven't gotten angry. We haven't gotten pissed enough to say, you know what? You're you're not going to do that to my family. You're not going to do that to my to to my home. You are not going to attempt to destroy me. You are not going to, uh, to teach my kids that. You are not going to teach the perversity to my children. You are not going to do that. I'm not going to let you do that. And if we all got together, if we all channeled our anger into something that is good and positive and thought back, we wouldn't have this problem. So get angry and stay angry.
2: Angry? Uh, I'm not up. (laughs) Thanks. I figured that's what you were doing. Well, uh, I mean, what else can be said as far as people getting involved and and figuring out what they can do to affect change? And you're going to have to push back. What you just said, you know, don't teach my kids perversion. What do you do in California where they're making it mandatory that kids cannot opt out of, you know, these gender and transgender studies? Well, you pull your kids out of school. You, you, you protest. You, you have to, you can't, you can't just you know, say, well,
1: they win. I, I, honest to God, I, I fear for my grandchildren. You're not going to teach my granddaughter, Joe. You're not going to teach my granddaughter or grandson about, about the perversity that's out there. You're not going to make them, you're not going to make my daughter, uh, I'm not going to get into the perversity, but I'm not going to accept that. I am not going to accept that. Nor should you. You're not going to tell me there's 63 genders out there, pronouns for genders. You're not going to tell me that if today you wake up and feel like a boy, then you're a boy. If you feel like a girl, you're a girl. You're not going to do that. You're not going to take, uh, you're not going to take the rights away from us. Uh, uh we're in charge of our children. We're in charge of ourselves. We have to say enough is enough.
2: Well, and if we don't, mm-hmm. it's only going to get worse. I mean, they're not going to stop with the, 58 or whatever genders, they're going to keep going. They're not going to stop with you know, the uh, homosexuality and the transgenderism in schools. They're not going to stop with the garbage in the entertainment industry. It's They're going to continue continue until they see losses, until they see uh, pushback. I mean, if, if the cable company continues to put out the perversion and the homosexual agenda and only sees their subscription base increase, they're going to keep doing that. Kind of like what we saw with the NFL over the last two years. We've seen an, a significant decrease in the amount of viewership in the NFL. I think it's up to 10% from last year, and they saw a double-digit hit the year before that. Many people are relating that due to the knee, taking a knee during the national anthem. Well, when they start losing the viewership and they start losing the advertiser money, you're going to, you're seeing these new policies where they're, Keeping the, you know, national anthem protest in the locker room or, or making it mandatory. Take a knee. That's a small example. But take a knee. Go
1: ahead and take a knee and we'll vote with our feet. We'll vote with our, I mean, we'll vote with, by not
2: tuning into your show or your, to to the game, not going to the game. Let's bankrupt these people. And whether that means not paying your taxes or, uh, you know, however you make them feel it, they have to, it can't just be some, some protest that, you know, has a start time of 8 a.m. and an end time of 8 p.m. This has to be something that affects them in a very negative way. And that can only be done by coming together and doing it together. It's not an individual. No one individual effort is going to turn this ship around. That's true. And that's, uh, you know, whatever it looks like, the organization, the, uh, people coming together to do this. I don't know what that, how that plays out, how it looks like. We need people to plan this stuff out. We need people to, uh, you know, get the organization aspect of this together. Because one thing, and, and I went back to a Let's support one a Peter Chao interview from uh, April second, where he he's talking about the divide in the conservative media, where you have these uh, pro Trump people and you have the never Trump people. <laughs> we see this divide. Why is it? Why are are the left so unified in their message, yet the right is divided, yet the church is divided? How is the that? Satanists aren't divided? No, the liberals aren't divided, and you see what they're no. able to accomplish with the minority. A small minority at that.
1: And, so how much more it. can be
2: accomplished by? And that's a it. unified exactly. And and, and that's, I guess
1: I guess that's the point I was trying to make. If if we all stick together, we can win simply on the numbers because we do have we do have more of a presence, I believe, than the lim- limousine liberals, lim- mm-hmm. the people who live in these clusters in the in, in the northeast and. Uh, south and you know like los angeles miami or the population centers it, when you take the, the country as a whole and by the way farmers they stop farming these liberals would stop would starve to death uh the uh the the, the, the truckers stop trucking mm-hmm. starve to death it, it's it's amazing how this country works we just stop working stop paying taxes do we but see if one person does it they get arrested if, if a group does it the news media comes but if we all do it it works and that's the key. We all have to get behind one another and, and be fearless in doing so. Same with, same with, uh, you know, uh, let's say going to an abortion clinic to stop the murdering of unborn children. If one person stands there, they get arrested. If 10 stand there, the news media comes. If 100 people stand there and block the, block the uh, abortion clinic, that abortion clinic, uh, murders clinic, uh, uh, closes down, maybe for a day. But at least we stick together, don't we? We can win on the numbers.
2: That's right. And that's what the other side does. I mean, it's it's uh it's unbelievable what they've been able to accomplish in ch- such a short amount of time with, with such a minority percentage of the population on board. But there's still an opportunity to turn this around, to make these changes if we're willing to do so. And we have to get involved, we have to get organized, and we have to uh, be willing to. And that's one of the things I, I know about our audience and our listenership. If there's something to do, something a way for them to get involved they will get involved so we have to figure out how that looks and then implement the plan when we come back we're going to be joined by brandon darby of breitbart texas he's the director of breitbart texas and he's going to come on to talk about a number of issues from illegal immigration journalist murders in mexico and much more don't go anywhere
1: This is the Hagman Report for May 2nd, 2018. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I'll, I'll just say it simply that way, because we have uh, righteous anger should rule the day. We should uh, be able to fight where we should fight back, and we can, the conservatives, the conservative Christians out there, we can win simply on the numbers by showing up, sticking together, supporting one another, and showing that we care, that we care about not just us, but we care about our children and their future as well, what kind of country we're living uh, to our children. And, and this this rot that it infests the government right now. And this rot that is attempting to break down our government. And then of course we look at the illegal invasion coming through across the southern border with us to talk about that. And more is a returning guest, a fantastic guy. I've got a lot of respect for his name is Brandon Darby. He's the managing director and editor in chief of Breitbart, Texas. He co founded Cartel Chronicles this is a project with uh Eldefonso ortiz and Stephen bannon you can follow him on twitter and facebook of course he can be contacted at uh, b darby at com. and again breitbart uh breitbart yeah the com slash cartel dash chronicles uh always good to have him on mr darby thanks for returning thanks for coming back sir
0: yeah thank you for having me on
1: i'll tell you what your your work is stellar and uh You've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I, I see your latest news articles here. Trump's ICE director helped uh, 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 author Obama's immigration priorities and executive orders, praise them. My goodness, what are we doing here? Where do you want to start uh, with, with uh, what's on your radar?
0: Well, you know, it's kind of an interesting situation, but I found myself, I started to have some realizations about, you know, I was looking at this caravan, the, the migrant caravan, we call it, coming from Central America, And I've watched a lot of the politicians, especially on the GOP side, speak out against it. And I've watched the executive branch, you know, the the head of DHS, put out press releases against it. And it occurred to me that by focusing all of these lawmakers, focusing everyone's anger on the migrant caravan, it occurred to me That the anger should really be focused on the politicians, right? It should be focused on the lawmakers. You know, from both parties have had control of, of the, the Congress, right? The House and the Senate. Both parties have had control at some point of the executive branch and the House and Senate together, you know Obama in two thousand and nine and ten the Republicans since and uh, or you know since Trump took over and none of them have done anything to change the laws that actually encourage and allow these caravans to happen and so by putting out these harsh press releases and going after them and getting everyone to focus on those people. Um, they're really taking the heat off of themselves for their own behavior or lack of action that, that uh, you know and so it's, it's been a really complex situation to kind of realize that like most of those people coming on that caravan you know a lot of the language that we used was like that I, that I saw on the right and I say we I mean people on the right um, uh you know, we said a legal alien invasion uh, uh, exploit our laws, take advantage of loopholes. But the truth is, is that our laws are written in a way where they're—it's actually features of our laws that they're utilizing. They're not taking advantage of loopholes that they found or sneaky being sneaky. Our laws are are such that allow them to come here and ask for asylum, um, and so it's it's actually a situation where the Republicans and the Democrats. Um, have not done anything to change it. And and, and so I've been really focusing a lot of my ire on them and not letting them get away with that focus on the migrants.
1: Okay, I understand that. But what you just said there, let me just clarify something here, because I understand we we are an asylum country, but so is Mexico. So if they're coming from Central America, isn't isn't there a... kind of a collective agreement where wherever they land, the first friendly asylum country they land, for example, in this case, Mexico, they should and must seek asylum there as opposed to skipping over Mexico and coming into the United States. I've heard that before.
0: Right, but this is what's tricky. So a month ago, a month and a half ago, the State Department declared that parts of Mexico we're on the same, par, we're on par in the same designation as far as security and safety as it ranks Syria and um, and um, uh, several countries, uh, Somalia uh, in the Horn of Africa. So we've been saying Mexico is not safe. Mexico is a narco state. Mexico is a failed state. Half of Mexico are under the control of transnational criminal organizations. They've had over a hundred twenty-five thousand murdered in the last, you know. Uh, 10 years, um, in, in in, uh, in, in, as from cartels, there are over 50,000 people missing. Journalists routinely get murdered. It's more dangerous to be a reporter there than it is in Syria, uh, than it is in, 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 in war zones. And so all of a sudden now the U.S. government says, well, Mexico is a safe country. So, so I, I want to be very clear with your listeners. I'm not arguing for them, for the people to come here. I don't think we can sustain having everyone in the world in a dangerous situation come to our country, especially since we have a system of entitlements. That's not my position. But but my position is is that these lawmakers could have changed these laws. They still could, and they're not moving to do that. Um, okay, so, th- so th- so thanks for that
1: clarification. Yeah. Because, I, I, you yeah. know, I didn't know that. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you. It was my understanding that that, uh, uh, it, what, that wasn't the case, and I'm, I'm so glad you pointed that out. And, and you're exactly correct in pointing out that it's it's really the deficiency of the laws and the lawmakers in this case. So continue, sir. Thank you. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to point that out and make it very clear that I don't think we can allow everyone in the world to come and stay. That's not my position. Um, but I have noticed that, you know, the people whose lack of action is responsible for this situation um, you know they've at least known since since 2014 when we had the same thing occur in the Rio Grande Valley sector of Texas with the with the, the miners, our so-called miners. Some of them actually weren't. Um, when we had that influx there, where our facilities got overwhelmed and we had to let people out, they've at least known of the problems in the way the law's written. But politicians in both parties don't want to take the political heat for trying to change that, and so. What they're doing is, is, is pointing the finger at these people for following the very laws that these guys have either made or that they've supported and condoned, uh, through a lack of inaction on it, a lack of using their platform to even call it out or none of them have submitted bills to change it. None of them have even tried. So it's a very interesting situation. So what I like to remind people of is while we're focusing on them, we really need to be focusing on the lawmakers themselves and going, Hey, what have you submitted? Since you've been in Congress, either Senate or House, and what have you submitted to change our asylum policies since you've been in there? In 2014, you spoke out about the border being overwhelmed. Your, your staff obviously researched it. So why haven't you done anything from 2014 until now to change it? You know, and, and that's something that I think people need to keep in mind is that our system is welcoming people uh, from around the world. And if that bothers you, um, and you see problems with it, then then it, it it becomes incumbent upon us. It's much easier to go, hey, those guys are coming in our country, stop them. It's easier to say that and focus on them than it is to look at our political leaders and go, you know what? I know you're in my party. I know that we have the you know the Congress and the the, the White House right now, the executive branch, but you guys haven't done anything here. Like, what are you going to do policy-wise to to change this pull that brings people here? Uh, It's more difficult to do that because if you're on the right, like I am, then your friends are all Republicans. You're friends with a lot of people's staff members, and you you don't want to get into a controversial or or an argument. We're we're so busy fighting the left that we don't... You know, you don't want to get in fights with everyone on the right. However, in this situation... We might
1: really need to. Okay, but absent of that, and and this is my question to you, absent of that, we we see Donald Trump as President of the United States exercising his executive authority to somewhat circumvent, I suppose, the laws that that you reference, yet uh, only to be struck down by judicial rulings. Now, in that case, given the law, are you saying, and, and, and if you are, this is fine, are you saying that that the rulings, the judicial rulings, are more in line with the um, with the laws and the books than?
0: Yes, I, am. Okay. I right. am. I I do think they. I think mostly they are, and that's the. That's again the problem. It's easy. It's easy for GOP uh, leadership to come out and say this. This activist court interpreted it this way, and it's like, well, they interpret it that way because that's how the law is written. You're the lawmaker. Change it. Have you introduced a bill to change the law? And no one wants to do that. And the reason they don't want to do that is because a lot of the laws we have on the books with asylum, they actually came from an era in time, like in the 30s and 40s, when a lot of Jews from Western Europe were showing up in ships, and we were turning them away because there were too many to process. Uh, and they they were asking for safe harbor in the United States, and we turned them away and a lot of them ended up dying in the Holocaust later on, especially you know a, a ship that came with thousands of children on it a lot of them ended up dying um, and so So what has happened is that a lot of our laws and the impetus behind those laws was was so that that never happened again. So what we did was we said, okay. If large number of people show up and claim danger, instead of just sending them away, we need to take them in until we can determine if they're really in danger. That's where the laws came from. And since that's where the laws came from, no one wants to be their political career to be the one who says, hey, let's stop that and let's do away with the protections we came up with after the Holocaust. Everyone's afraid to be that person. Um, and I think that's 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 understandable. It's understandable. There's there, it's, there's nuance here, right? There's, it's complexity to it. It's not a black and white issue, and I can understand that. But what what I do find a problem with is when uh, the same lawmaker who is doing nothing about it is just putting out press releases you know uh, attacking the caravan instead of actually spending their time changing the law and, and putting a bill together you know that that's what I think is important because if we don't really if, if the caravans in the news right now and everyone on the right is just upset about that and they don't really look at the the root of why this is happening and do something to address it then it's just never going to change then six months from now we'll be talking about another caravan and two months from now another one and uh Two months from that, another caravan, and, and so forth down the line. You know, we we went through this in 2014 when it really got under people's uh, consciousness was when um, I'm proud to say that I published 42 photos that were leaked to me by people in uh under the umbrella of C B P Customs and Border Protection and it showed all nine border patrol stations, um, facilities in the Rio Grande Valley sector just crammed full of children and women and others and we were being overwhelmed and, and a week after that expose, we saw the National Guard sent to the border in Texas, and we started to see this become the hot button political issue that it is, uh, because people realized, like, like, oh my gosh, maybe our policies are drawing people here. Um, but nothing policy wise changed after that. Even when Trump took office, he said, this is Obama's catch and release. I'm going to do away with it. He took office two months later. He said, I've done a- Obama's catch and release is officially over. Well, then when the numbers came out, it turned out it wasn't over. It turned out that 30-something percent, almost 40 percent of people who came illegally were being released into the United States still. And and so then after that, uh, that's because we don't have enough facilities to hold them. And after that, Congress voted to to restrict the funding for more facilities to be built. They did that. That was the Republicans who did that. Uh, that wasn't Democrats. It wasn't George Soros. It was the Republicans who voted against that increased funding for ICE, uh, for for uh, detention centers and facilities. So now we have another border crisis, and they're saying, "Well, we can't. We have to let them go because we don't have enough facilities." And it's the same people who just voted against funding more facilities. But that's kind of a problem, you know. If we really look at it, we structurally have a problem. We have a Republican Party who likes to tell the, their their voters, "Hey, we're tough on immigration. We're tough on illegal immigration. We're tough on the border." But then, when it really comes down to it, are they being tough? Not really. Are they? Are they? They have tough rhetoric, um, but they're not really being tough when it comes to their actions.
3: Do
1: they understand that what they're doing? Uh, and and I, I know how that sounds. It sounds like a kind of a weird question, but are, are they fully? Do they fully comprehend the, especially the Republican lawmakers? Do they fully comprehend um, what they're doing, or, or, or are they well-meaning mean? but, you know, dupes?
0: Well, let's be clear, like a lot of them like have went to Harvard or went to Yale. I have a GED and I live out in Lubbock, Texas. I I you know, I I I just got back from working on my cow my cow's fence uh and my chicken's fence uh to do this interview. And I have a GED. I'm not uh, an attorney. I'm not I my highest level of education completed is a GED. Uh I understand it. Um You know, I write about it every day. I, I've been writing about it for years. I know that most of the Republicans read what I write. So do they understand it? If they don't, they should. If they don't, that in itself is a problem, that they haven't taken the time to do it. When, you know, 50 to 70 percent of their rhetoric is about the issue, it would be even more problematic if they didn't understand it because it would it would denote that they're very insincere, you know like it, it would maybe even more so than if they do understand it and don't do anything for complicated political reasons, so I hope they understand it. Uh, I can't answer to what they understand in their minds, um, but I sure hope that they do, considering the amount of focus they they have on the border issues you know surrounding that issue at least.
2: Our guest is Brandon Darby he's the managing director of Breitbart, Texas uh Brandon, I want to ask you this we saw uh one of the main reasons the president got elected as many say is because of his stance on immigration and a border wall and wanting to change that as well as the economy these these congressmen who were in office who i i agree with you 100% uh they have done nothing to to figure this out even though they talk about it uh you know so much many of them do and that really needs to change but how does well, if the majority of the people voted for President Trump, knowing the tough stance on immigration he was gonna have, shouldn't the Congress be more comfortable in their voting for immigration policy reform uh knowing that president Trump is there and he's gonna he's gonna support it uh, more so than the backlash of of the the left? What is it about the left that has these congressmen so scared to to do their job?
0: I don't really know you know there's um there's you know president trump promised a lot of things i'm, I'm not an anti trump person i i don't you know there's some things he does i really don't care for and there's some things he does that i i think he's doing a great job with like north korea for instance i think he's doing a good job there right now um, you know he promised to give a direct line to him for the border patrol agents through the national border patrol council and he did that. You know, like they can talk to him and 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 tell him their needs. They can tell his – they have access to that administration. And that's not – we've not seen that before like this, right? We've not seen a president who has boosted morale of Border Patrol agents in such a way as Trump has. So I'm not anti-Trump. But I can also tell you that he really hasn't done a lot on the border structurally. And I can also tell you that his promised war against Mexican cartels, he never delivered on that. He never did that. Like he hasn't done the steps that would actually hurt Mexican cartels and transnational criminal groups. He hasn't taken steps to to challenge them. Um, so he really hasn't. He, he what he's done is he's he's promised a wall, a physical barrier, um, and he focuses in on that. But but really, the wall by itself, without policy changes, you know, policy changes without physical barriers aren't going to do much. But but the wall without policy changes is also a problem, right? right, right. Um, it, so, 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 so there's really not a lot of action that we've seen from the president on the border. He, he drives focus to the border. That's good. Um so there's a lot of positive things he's doing but when it comes to actual changes we've not really seen that we've not seen him go to war in the cartels we've not seen him increase the number of fbi or u-s attorney's office resources on the u-s-mexico border or hsi or irs which everyone hates the irs on the right but 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 when it comes to money 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 laundering investigations they're pretty good to have right in that capacity um, we've not seen that we've not seen him change people out in the state department in mexico in the, in Mexico the state department routinely places diplomatic concerns and politics above law enforcement priorities which allows a lot of these organized criminals to get away and we've not seen them change that we've not seen him revamp the state department we've not seen him use his platform to call for it we've not seen him use his platform to call for laws to be changed until the last week in the last week he said our laws on immigration are messed up the most messed up in the world and i'm like yeah they're pretty messed up i'm, I'm glad that you're using your platform to bring attention to it however you've had all this other time to do that and and instead what you've done is you've said things like, I'm responsible for the numbers on the border going down. I'm I take credit for that. It's like okay, you can take credit for that, but now that the numbers are back up you have to take blame for that, you know, consequently. Um, if, you, if you're if you're responsible for the good stuff, you're responsible for the bad stuff off the tree too. Um, and, and so these are the kind of things that, that we see. I, I know it's like, again, people get mad at me on the left and the right right now because I, I just say things like they are. I take it very seriously that people listen to me, that I have a platform, and I, I take it very seriously to be honest with people and tell them what I see and what the facts are. Um, and sometimes that, you know, sometimes that makes Trump supporters happy and sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes it makes different people happy and sometimes it doesn't. And really what we need right now, in my opinion, is just more people just to call it, kind of call it like it is and say, Hey, like, here's the problem. The GOP lawmakers are doing this. I don't know if they're afraid of the left or, you know, sometimes, um, in some states, people are pretty friendly towards like DACA or people are pretty friendly towards the the workers who are here and um um, and in the Republican Party, even in Texas, for instance, there's the a supermajority of Texans are are, are 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 uh sympathetic to DACA people. Um, so maybe they feel like, hey, I'm I'm in a campaign right now, I'm going against this leftist, it's a small margin between me and the Democrat and I don't wanna push this issue and cause more Latinos to vote for him or I I mean I get that there's complexity. Um but regardless of why there's complexity and or the fact that there is complexity and why they're doing it, they're still doing it, right? There, there's really not an honest conversation happening. And I think something we got into last time I was on the show is, is, uh, the way that our news is set up even, our political news is, look, if I were to go on Fox or MSNBC or CNN and talk about this, they would give me a 30 seconds to make my points. And I would have to make points for 30 seconds, and then someone else would have to make points for 30 seconds, and then we would go off the air. And you cannot really talk about the complexities about the border issues, immigration laws, law enforcement issues surrounding Mexican cartels, in 30 seconds, right, And and, and quick little sound bites. You have to actually have a discussion. A lot of these issues we're facing in the country require a discussion. And and, uh, our news is kind of set up in a way that, that uh, that's why shows like yours are very valuable uh, and very much play a valuable role in our in our republic, in our system, in our nation. Is because it does allow these deeper discussions to happen. You know, so so all the way around, it, it's a problem. I don't know that they're afraid of the left. I'm sure in some moderate districts they may be, um, but I definitely know that their rhetoric and their actions don't match each other. You know. Yeah, and and I think they should be held accountable for that. I think we need to, and I'm not saying vote them out. I'm not, I'm just saying they they need to be put on the spot about it. You know, um, they need to be asked about it. They need to, you know, and, and the, the unfortunate thing is, is that. The way that the right deals with Mexico, which I agree with, is to call it out for what it is, acknowledge the problems going on with corruption and the fact that it's largely a narco state, call it out for what it is, and address those issues. The way that the left deals with it is that they're like, hey, if we just ignore those issues and act like Mexico's uh, an equal person at the table sitting with us, then eventually maybe they'll become that equal person. And that's the way they deal with it. So they diminish the horrors of what's going on in Mexico. Well, one of the things that we're seeing now is, is we saw Trump and we saw the Republican Party talk about the horrors of Mexico, but now they're saying, "Wait, Mexico's a safe country they should have they should have uh, asked for asylum there." And it's like, wait a minute, guys, I see what you're doing. You're, you're shifting here. Now you're doing what the left is doing, saying Mexico's safe when we know dang good and well it isn't. That's why we need a wall in the first place, because it isn't safe, right, what's happening there. And um, And you're saying that because you're putting, again, you're getting people to be mad at Mexico or mad at these caravan people. Instead of you, who didn't change the law, you know, they're they're doing everything they can to point fingers at everyone else and blame everyone else for this situation, even at the point of acting like the left and saying Mexico is safe, which it isn't. um, They're doing everything possible so that we're not like looking at them going, hey, I'm holding you accountable as a lawmaker for this situation. Uh, So it it, kind of blows my mind, really. Like I, I watch it. And it's so very frustrating to me uh, to see, you know, people responsible for something making it like blaming everyone else in the world for it.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Brandon. And it, there are huge problems, and they need change. The laws need change. The politicians need to get on board and create a plan uh, to change these laws. There's a lot that needs uh, to be different. Uh, we only got about two minutes left, and I wanted to ask this um, question to you the website breitbart how is breitbart different from breitbart texas
0: well uh, that's kind of an interesting situation um you know i you know my history is one where i've always been a human rights activist i've always tried to fight for the least of these sometimes imperfectly but i've always tried um and it's always been a kind of a focus of mine um you know, I was very good friends with Andrew Breitbart. He hired me, uh, when he passed away. I eventually, you know, got my own part of the company called Breitbart Texas, my own vertical. Um, and I cover, I cover issues more than politics. The rest of the country, uh, the rest of the company really focuses on politics a lot more than we do. Like at Breitbart Texas, we're, you know, we try to tell the stories of what's going on at the border and not so much the way that politicians react to those stories, you know um and so naturally because we don't focus on politics where i think we're a lot less controversial because we just don't get into politics like 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 uh the rest of the political site uh does but, right uh, we just cover deeper. issues and yeah much it, deeper and, well, it is but but both are very valuable right like i'm right. glad to see what politicians react to my reports and i'm glad to see people reporting on what those politicians are doing in response um it, or else I wouldn't, most of the subject matter I've talked about tonight is a mix between talking, knowing about issues because that's what I focus on and also knowing about the politics surrounding the issues, right? So, so I think together it makes a very complete system. But as far as we go, my border team, we really, you know, in Mexico, a lot of the reporters who report with us, they're not conservatives. They're just people who are trying to better their country, and they're trying to write about the corruption and about the narco cartels and the dirty politicians, and they'll get killed for it. So so that's man. who we work with, and, and so we, we just don't focus as much on politics.
2: Brandon, wow. Darby, thank you wow. so much. We are absolutely out of time. Uh, Breitbart, Texas, check it out. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much. Thanks We're gonna for We're going to have your you back. Thanks
0: man. Yeah. Anytime. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Follow
2: no, Brandon sure. at Brandon Darby on Twitter. We'll be right back after this. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> edition of the hagman report we're going to be joined by james perloff in just a few moments i want to bring your attention to an article i've had up on my computer all day and talked about a little bit earlier u.s officials israel preparing for war with iran seeking u.s support this is an article on zero hedge it's also up on hagman report not that there was much doubt who was behind it but two days after enemy warplanes attacked syrian military base near hama on sunday killing at least 11 iranians and dozens of others Nobody's claimed responsibility of the attack. The U.S. officials told NBC that it was indeed Israel and their F-15 fighter jets that struck near the base. Now, the article goes on to lay out the reports that Israel appears to be preparing for an open warfare with Iran and seeking U.S. help and support. On the list of the potentials for most likely live hostility around the world, the battle between Israel and Iran and Syria is at the top of the list right now, according to one senior U.S. official. Now you can go read the rest of the Zero Hedge report, uh, off a of Hagman report or go to Zero Hedge. But there's also, uh, I, I guess you'd just say speculation that there's going to be another strike tonight or in the next 24 hours on more of these, what they call weapons depots. And if that happens, are we going to see an escalation from that? It's something that we started off really on Monday with front and center and since has kind of drifted off into the, the, the back pages, uh, of people's attention span, but it's something we need to keep at forefront in our, in our mind and keep an eye on the news because there's a, a potential here for more strikes to happen. And if that does happen, how is that going to increase the conflict between Iran and Israel? And are, and is Israel really pushing the US to support them? In some kind of strike again or war against Iran, that's the question. Netanyahu has got
1: some guts. Well, the IDF or Netanyahu specifically has got some some guts to to, to show. I mean, the the the, the uh, intelligence operation to go in uh, to to an Iranian nuke facility is, or the equivalent thereof, and to come out and have a PowerPoint presentation on all of and all of their findings, showing Obama number one was a liar. At, at mm-hmm. best, he was a liar. No, the pallets of money <laughs> going to Iran. Look, it, it's if, if the American people. I believe once the American people know what Obama has done to this country, the full story of what he has done to this country. Uh, I don't. You know what? I'm not even sure that we would. Uh, we're ever going to find out at least uh, in our lifetime uh the the full extent of of the damage done by obama but i digress you remember that um, it was last week i believe it was when we were broadcasting and all of a sudden boom we weren't broadcasting <laughs> that was because of of we we uh we blew out the power uh not, not our power but actually it was a combination of of the um uh, isp uh, our internet service provider as well as the bandwidth we were pushing out it just we, we had to get the text in here and uh, from our uh, ISP, and they said, wow, yeah, you know, you're know you going to need the cables the size of a diameter of a bowling ball with the stuff you're pushing out of here. Anyway, so we got that fixed, but one of the casualties of that program was James Perloff, and uh, we apologized to James, but he's back with us. And thankfully, now we're going to turn it over to James Perloff, or bring him on, I should say. James, welcome to the program.
4: Well, thank you for having me back on, and uh, uh, thank you for also mentioning, uh you know, uh, I wanted to talk about the Syria airstrikes tonight, and some people might think that that's already too far removed in time, but the original show was to be 10 days ago when it was still very fresh in people's mind, and with the situation continuing to heat up in Syria and in the Middle East, I think it will remain very relevant.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to go off the table anytime soon. I, th- I think that um, uh, you're right, I, th- I think in its relevance – so what's going on there, or where, where should we start with all of this? Because I, I know that you had a specific uh, presentation in mind, and we can still, because of its relevance, we can still follow that, or wherever you'd like to like to start. I'm going to leave it up to you.
4: Well, uh, thank you for that courtesy. Uh, you know, I've written um, a couple of articles uh, related to this. One was a year ago, when Trump launched the first airstrikes, I wrote a piece on my blog, jamespiloff.com, called 14 Reasons Why the Syrian Airstrikes Were a Really Bad Idea. And then, nine days before this uh, alleged Duma chemical weapons attack, I published an interview with a Syrian Christian, a very devout Christian lady, uh, who has many, many family members and friends in Syria who, uh, she, she's an American citizen uh, she has been here for over 20 years but she's totally on top of the situation and I wanted to give Americans a Christian perspective on what's going on in Syria because a lot of people have the misconception that it's an Islamic state, it's not, they have almost 2 million Christians there, it's a secular state Assad fully respects the rights of Christians there and uh, so uh this interview I did with her actually turned out to be quite a, a popular one at, uh, in the first uh, three or four weeks it had over 6,000 Facebook shares, which for my website is a lot. Um so I kind of want to get combined the details of these two and talk about, uh, why I think, uh, these airstrikes were a very bad idea and also why we're getting into a very dangerous situation in the Middle East. Okay. I, it,
1: because that was a very volatile time. I mean, uh, there were people who had on-air meltdowns over this and saying that Trump sold us out and and, and, you know, uh, we, there was personnel change at, at that time mm-hmm. as well. So, a, a lot of complexities built into this, but, uh, so help us out. Uh,
4: well, I'm going to be pretty one sided here. <laughs> it may not be okay. uh, a, a view that, uh, that, uh, you and Joe would take. And,
1: and but, we may uh, not agree with you, but, but you know yeah. what? Let's, let's have, let's have a discussion because uh, this, we need to have a discussion on this.
4: Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, sort of combine, um, observations about, both the strikes, the one in 2017 and the one that happened uh, on April the 13th of this year, and uh, I'm going to go over about a dozen reasons why I think these strikes have not been undertaken, and number one is that Donald Trump himself, before he was president, said uh, what a bad idea this would be, and so what I want to do is quote some of Trump's own tweets, okay, when Obama was president. Yeah, there's a lot of them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that won't, won't give you them all, but uh, sampling. Uh, uh, what will we get for bombing Syria besides more debt and a possible long-term conflict? Obama needs congressional approval. Uh, that was um, 29 August 2013. This is when Obama was considering uh, the bombing of Syria. Uh, next tweet. If Obama attacks Syria and innocent civilians are hurt and killed, he and the U.S. will look very bad. Next tweet, if the U.S. attacks Syria and hits the wrong targets, killing civilians, there will be worldwide hell to pay. Stay away and fix the broken U.S. Next tweet, the only reason President Obama wants to attack Syria is to save face over his very dumb red line statement. Do not capitalize attack Syria. Fix USA. And then one more again to our very foolish leader. Do not attack Syria. If you do, many very bad things will happen. And from that fight, the U.S. gets nothing. And we could go on, and I do link to the uh, a full set of these tweets from the original article. But it's very clear. Now, this is by the way, I voted for Donald Trump, but let me just make it clear from the outset that um, if you will check my blog, um, you know, I I, uh, I have more memes about Hillary Clinton that I made for Twitter uh, than uh, any other individual uh, against Hillary Clinton. Okay, and I had several. Uh, uh, blog posts during the, during the 2016 election uh, campaign uh, against Hillary. Uh, she's certainly the last person I want to see as president and I was putting hope in uh, Trump's rhetoric which included remarks like these which indicated he would not attack Syria. He was going to stay home and his, his reasons for attacking Syria that he's giving now are the very same ones that Obama raised. So that's just my first of about a dozen reasons.
2: Yeah, and you know I, I agree with you 100% that uh, the Trump rhetoric before he was elected was Syria was right on the money, and his actions after the fact, from basically the airstrikes one year apart, almost exactly one year apart uh, mm-hmm. were both huge mistakes. but I want to ask you this i, I wouldn 't uh, let me just
1: interject one thing here because words do mean things when you say uh, Trump rhetoric, I would say donald trump 's statements yeah, well his claims on Twitter and his criticism right, of Obama right, right
2: do you think that uh, let me ask you this, James, do you think the trump 's decision do you think he was given like multiple choice well we can do a b or c we're going to do something uh you have a choice of we can do this or do you think uh that this he was like okay uh you know we have to do something here let's let's take action how do you think that played out in the white house especially knowing what uh he was well you know educated on the subject and and was on the right side uh, all the time leading up to his presidency
4: Right. I don't know uh, if it's given multiple choices by his advisors or not. I don't know what took place in the conversation, but I do know where the first airstrike, it was almost instantaneous. There was very little thought given to it, which is one of the problems with it.
2: Okay. And then, uh, I don't know how far you were going to get. I mean, we are, uh, what do you say, 10 more or more days into, since the last strike? the gas attack, which was the reason for the strike. Have we seen any more information? It seems that we we saw the gas attack, we saw the blame instantly given to Assad without evidence, then we saw the president's airstrikes, and then after that it seems like the story has uh, left the media completely, and we've seen no further proof or corroboration that Assad was behind these attacks. Is there any out there, or has there been any updates?
4: Well, uh, of course, um, as you know, the um, the uh OPCW, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, did go in there and they took soil samples and um, cadaver samples um, and um, they heard eyewitness testimony and we're still awaiting their official report. Um, but uh as far as that uh, uh Duma attack goes, uh my own uh Christian source there um, tells me that uh Assad uh you know they would won in Gouda, uh, and they'd, uh, had several, uh, occasions where after, a, uh, a victory, they would agree, reach an agreement with the terrorists, you know, the Al Qaeda, the ISIS people, and they would, uh, agree that in return for releasing the civilians, they would ship, uh, by bus these, uh, terrorists to the, uh, Iraqi border. But in this case, the orders came down from Saudi Arabia not to do this, uh, not to give up the civilians, uh, but to hold out. And so, Assad gave them a ultimatum, and he said, if you don't do it by a certain date, we will attack. So that ultimatum expired, and they did have an airstrike on the terrorists. And uh, what you saw in the video that Trump uses as proof of a chemical weapons attack um, was actually, it was a hospital in Douma, uh, but they were treating victims of smoke inhalation. These were people who had been in the neighborhood, near where the uh, airstrikes took place and they, uh, there was a windy day and they had smoke inhalation and they were being treated for hypoxia. and this has been verified by all the people you see in that that uh, that video. Uh, you know the white helmets ran in there and screamed chemical weapons attack and you know and uh, but they even they weren't wearing gas masks when they did that and uh, but you can see uh, testimony from all the hospital personnel, the doctors, the nurses, the the, the lab techs. And the little boy, famous little boy, who was seen uh, in that video, he said uh, the same thing, you know, that there was no uh, a, a gas attack. And if he was the victim of a gas attack, he'd either be dead now or he would be in intensive care somewhere. So uh, this clearly was not um, uh, a, a chemical weapons attack. And, of course, this is one of the major, this is one of the dozen reasons I would give you for why uh, both these attacks were such a bad idea was that Trump, did not await for a proper adjudication of the facts before he attacked, and this was an attack on a sovereign nation uh, launching, uh, you know, 59 cruise missiles. I think the first attack in over 100 this time. Uh, the first attack, which was uh, in 2017, um, which he timed, by the way, exactly to the day that we entered uh, World War One. You know, we entered World War One on August, April the 6th. Nineteen seventeen in this uh airstrike on Syria, which some people think could lead to world war three um i'm sorry World War one is what I'm talking about uh, of course in nineteen seventeen um he did it on april the sixth was to the day uh one hundred years uh the anniversary of that but um the the first attack which uh Trump said was sarin gas um uh, we know that wasn't sarin gas because, uh, and I'm just going to quote, uh, Patrick Lang, former colonel in the Defense Intelligence Agency. He said that the, uh, the, uh, the claims were, quote, based on a lie, unquote. Quote, we know it's not sarin, very simple. How very simple? The so-called first responders, he's talking about the white helmets, which are the propaganda arm of Al-Qaeda in Syria. Uh, the so-called first responders handled the victims without gloves. If this had been sarin, they would have died. Sarin on the skin will kill you. How do I know? I went through live agent training at Fort McClellan in Alabama. And so, uh, we see that, uh, what really happened in 2017 was that the Syrian Air Force hit a chemical weapons depot. It was actually chlorine gas that was held by the, by these, uh, the terrorists themselves. But who did Trump attack? He attacked the Syrian government. He attacked Shayrat Air Base. And in this case, um, he attacked uh, the, uh Syrian government facilities again based only on the evidence of, again, an al-Qaeda video, which we know, again, from the testimony of all the people involved who are seen in that video, was nothing to do with the chemical weapons uh, event.
2: And, James, if I can, the first chemical attack one year ago, even just, I think it was a month ago, maybe two months ago, General Mattis came out and said that there was still no evidence to link Assad to that attack or pro-Assad forces. So even one, almost one year later, the uh, top officials in the U.S. Army are saying, or in the military are saying, no, this is uh we, we still don't know. We, we still don't know what happened. We have no evidence to support the claims that were made back then either. And I would agree with you. The, the uh, quickness of the decision that the president made is, before seeing any evidence, is very troublesome, and it goes against everything, that he stood for on foreign policy.
4: Right. And, you know, in America, you know, if uh, somebody's accused of something, we don't uh, just go out and hang them. You know, we give them a trial. We look at the facts. We we have uh, evidence presented on both sides. And, you know, Assad invited the OPCW inspectors to come to Syria over this most recent Duma alleged attack. And uh, Trump was not willing to wait for the results. He said well, it's it bombs away. And he got France and uh England to go along with them. And I think it's rather interesting that France, England, and the United States have new leaders, Trump, Macron and May. Um, and it's at the same time we see a new uh leader in in uh, Saudi Arabia, this crown prince, this young crown prince, he's only thirty two, suddenly emerge on the scene, um Mohammed bin Salman. So it's it looks as if a very strong pro war group was suddenly lined up, which, of course, we could add the advisors like John Bolton, who uh, was sworn in as uh, national security advisor just two days after this alleged chemical weapons attack. It seemed to me this was coordinated at the highest levels.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And, um, you know, i I'm just finding this now what you said. The uh, Russia has taken a number of witnesses to the what was it, the office, um, of chemical weapons research i don't have the in front of me but they took a number of witnesses six days ago to the opcw and uh caught a lot of flack for doing so but all these witnesses including the 11 year old hassan daib said that it was not a gas attack so
1: and and as well the description of the gas attack and correct me if i'm wrong two different types of gas never before seen used together in in a situation like that am i right in that uh
4: well, this was not a chemical weapons attack right. at all. It was, it was the smoke inhalation from, from the bombing.
1: Okay. of all Conventional right. bombs. All right. All right. So, so what are we looking at here in the, in the larger sense? Um, who's pulling the strings? Who's, who's pushing for war here? And, uh, I, I mean, I, I suppose we know that answer, but, but just to lay it all on the table, uh, is Donald Trump being played or is he? willingly going along with this is he uh because i according to all everything i read that you know he was moved by the stirring images by the disturbing images of the children who were affected by the bombing and such and of course responded accordingly is that just a uh, and I'm i'm asking you is that just for public consumption
4: that is zero credibility because why is he not moved by the images of the people of Yemen right. who are being consistently bombed? They've bombed hospitals, schools. It's been indiscriminate bombing. We have millions of people who are either starving or on the brink of starvation. It's well documented. Just this past week, uh, Saudi Arabia bombed a wedding. This is a, quite a few weddings that have been bombed or uh, initially they reports of 20 dead. Now they say it's up to over 50 and that I includes that. the bride. Never got to take a vows. No, Trump gonna punish Saudi Arabia? No, he's given them a weapons deal worth up to 350 billion dollars, which they obviously don't need for defense because nobody's threatening to invade them. <laughs> and is he is he is he concerned about Gaza, where the Israelis violated chemical weapons convention, the international standards by dropping white phosphorus, which burned the skin off of the civilians and the children there? Was he moved by the images of that? This is a complete double standard on human rights. Was he moved by the 40 uh, uh, Palestinians who were shot dead by Israeli snipers who were safe behind an electrified fence during their right of return march. He was not moved. So the idea that he's, he's moved by civilian Arab casualties, he should be moved by all the other ones which are much better documented and much more massive.
1: Alright, and, and I would, I would also say that, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the, uh, issues you mentioned are politically and, um, oh, well, they're pretty contentious. Things to, to discuss, obviously. So, so, yeah. Admittedly, yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so, so w- then, what's going on here? Would we because I, I recall talking about this, and 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 when we look back, and, and James, I know you're a student of history, and, a, and a, I would even say a professor of history, given your uh, vast knowledge of of things, whether it be Pearl Harbor and, and everything onward. By the way, JamesPerloff.com, it's linked to HagmanReport.com. But when we look at this. Um, uh, Gajandra Singh had uh, said back in, uh, I think it was 2009 or thereabouts, that uh, uh, the analysis of a war in Syria, Syria would not uh, implode but explode, um, not like Libya, but, you know, it would explode. And the, the casualties would be significant, and we've seen that. And, and I've always said that World War Three would, would be the, the flashpoint for a third world war, would in fact be Syria, not Iran or Korea. And I think we're seeing that develop right now. Uh, would you agree with those statements?
4: Well, it seems like the most likely flashpoint, especially with the, uh, recent truce between North and South Korea and the, but the buildup of hostilities in the Middle East. And, um, I thought it was interesting that right on the tail end of that North-South Korean truce that, uh, Bibi Netanyahu came up with, uh, his claims about, uh, Iran and its nuclear weapons program. Um, and uh, actually, here's what uh, Pat Buchanan said about that. He said, uh, B.B.'s, quote, been crying wolf for decades, and, quote, and that's true, by the way. In 1992, Netanyahu said that within three to five years that uh, uh, Iran would have nuclear weapons, and that was six years ago he said that. Um, and uh, according uh Pat Buchanan again, he said, quote, B.B., uh, with due respect wants the United States to fight a war with Iran on israel's behalf unquote um i, I consider this uh, part of um the uh long term plan that's been going on in in the Middle East uh, yeah. a couple of years ago, I wrote an article called "Did the Cold War End so the War on Terror could begin?" It's very interesting that when Gorbachev came to power in nineteen eighty five you know he started glasnost and everybody thought well cause this is the you know it should be the end of the big military budget and we should beat our uh swords into plowshares now but instead um we saw the war on terror begin immediately uh we had a Mossad false flag with with the bombing of the La Belle discotheque in Germany with uh uh between 50 and more than 50 US casualties uh GIs and uh Reagan bombed Libya but it was revealed by Viktor Ostrovsky, the former Mossad officer in his book, The Other Side of Deception, that was based entirely on a Mossad deception. They planted a transmitter in Tripoli called a Trojan and transmitted uh, congratulations to the alleged terrorists from Tripoli. And so Reagan, the, the American ears picked that up, listening ears picked that up, and they bombed uh, Libya based entirely on a uh, false deception. But we moved. That was the beginning of the war on terror, the first strike. Then 1991, the Soviet Union officially broke up and in 1991, we fought our first official land war, the first Gulf War, uh, in the Middle East. And so we simply switched our military budget from con- fighting communism to fighting, um, all of Israel's neighbors and what I would consider what I would, uh, you know, has been called the Rothschild Greater Israel Project and the uh, Israeli Yinan Plan that was developed in the 1980s for balkanizing or dividing up all her, her neighbors into Small units that are too weak to, uh, to resist because I believe that, uh, when we're looking at the greater Israel project, we're looking at, I know you guys deal a lot with prophecy, but um, we're looking at something that's Luciferian and that, uh, the Antichrist has every intention of ruling from a rebuilt, uh, temple, uh, in, Jer- in Jerusalem. And I think that's, that's exactly what we're looking at at the deepest spiritual level. There's certainly you know, more material things we can talk about, but I believe that uh, we're, we're looking at uh, a continuation of that. I look on Trump's actions as a continuation of the neocon war policy of Bush and Obama and uh, what Hillary Clinton would have done. She herself said that we should have airstrikes on those air bases at the same time that Trump did it. It's a, it's a, it's the same policy as McCain and Lindsey Graham, even though they would, uh, they would ask for even stronger measures to be taken.
2: Yeah, I agree they would ask for stronger measures to be taken and what you're referencing this plan you know, this middle east this plan to dismantle the middle east that both uh you know George Bush 1 and George Bush 2 and even Obama continued uh, that that George Bush 1 really started but it started before even him with PNAC and you know the listing of the countries that they wanted to overthrow and you know Iran is, is still on that list. We've seen Libya mm-hmm. go. We've seen Syria go and all these other countries. Uh, we've seen the, the peace agreement between North and South Korea or the first steps in that process. But Iran's one of the last dominoes mm-hmm. standing and now we see all this focus right on Iran. It, it's almost, uh, it's predictable. I mean, it's from the same script. And, and if I'm going to interject something, I, I know I
1: can almost feel like this is a little bit uncomfortable for you to talk about. And it's a little bit uncomfortable to be discussed because, geez, you know, we we have to kind of tiptoe around the, around the Israel issue. But, but let's look at, you know, I, look, I understand that. And, and, and um, but, but I think we need to look at this in the larger sense and, and look at what is truth. Because you wrote a book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior. And the title says it all, doesn't it? I mean, you got to look at what's true. Are we being gamed in the larger sense? So, um, you, you know, I, I fully understand that and there are going to be people out there saying, "Oh, well, you guys are anti-Semitic, and how dare you?" And well, wait a second. Let's look at the facts, and that's what that's what we're doing here. So, yeah,
2: criticism of yeah. factual events. Well, what's the saying? Um, learn who you can't criticize. And, yeah, and. and mm-hmm. There's a. You know who rules over you. Yeah, exactly. You Thank yeah. you. And yeah. um, you know that's a, a true saying, and and we see that today. Everybody should be uh, able to be criticized, no matter. I mean, th- there shouldn't be a special class of people who are protected from criticism. That's what we see on the. If they're wrong, the left they're wrong. The, exactly. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So, yeah uh, so so what you're saying is is is,
1: um, we're we're seeing this. Boy, I I don't, I don't even know how to describe it we're seeing a continuation of an agenda here a new world order yeah. that's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to to con- to confront isn't it
4: well well certainly uh and the new world order has never been comfortable for anybody who's been uh, a victim of it um but uh that that's what i see unfolding and i think that uh with uh Donald Trump as president um the deep deep state believed it could Accomplish its Middle East objectives, which it seems to prioritize foreign policy right now, they were willing to table the domestic agenda that Hillary Clinton would have advanced, you know, the transgender stuff and all of that, because right now I believe that they are prioritizing the elimination of Syria and Iran, the last two um, barriers, as you said, the last two dominoes to fall in this Greater Israel Plan that was actually spelled out in other terms. He didn't call it that by General Wesley Clark when he said we're going to take out um, seven countries um, and included Syria and Iraq and uh, Lebanon and Libya and finally he said Iran would be last and that's why the Iranians are in Syria right now uh, they're not there to launch an attack on Israel uh, I asked my Christian friend uh, from Syria uh, who again has many many contacts on the ground, Christian contacts on the ground in Syria uh, as to why the Iranians are there She said there's two reasons, number one It's been a seven-year war, and our ranks have been depleted, and we need the help to fight against all these foreign terrorists. By the way, 80 to 90% of Daesh and uh, al-Qaeda don't even speak Arabic. They are outside mercenaries. They're paid by Qatar and um, Saudi Arabia, fighting with American weapons most of the time. And um, so I I, I asked her... um, I, exactly. Um, I'm sorry. I just lost my, my my train of thought. I'm sorry about that. You're
2: talking about the uh, uh, the, the forces in uh, Syria being foreign forces. In that, I, Iran. The reason Iran is in Syria is not to attack Israel, right? But to back yes. up the pro-Assad. Uh,
4: thank you for thank you for catching me up on that. The other reason I asked her why would Iranians volunteer to fight for Syria. And she said the reason is that if Syria falls, Iran is next. And exactly as you said, the, the, the dominoes. So that's why the Iranians are there. And the uh, Israelis have been bombing Syria and bombing Iranians in Syria on the pretext that they will invade. Of course, Syria has its hands full. They're not going to try and invade Syria. They know it's going to happen, that uh, Trump has as, as a hair trigger when it comes to bombing Syria. They're certainly not going, and they know how loyal he is to to Israel and to, to uh, Bibi Netanyahu. They're not going to that's why they've been avoiding responding and retaliating against these uh, unprovoked uh, Israeli attacks. But that's that's the basic situation that we're seeing unfolding there. And so um, I would come out on the exact opposite side of the Christian Zionists. By the way, I'm half Jewish myself. The Poloff family was called Polovsky. Uh, my, my family came over from Russia uh, during the, the uh, time of one of the pogroms, 1904. So this has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. We're talking about what's right and what's wrong. Exactly. exactly.
1: Exactly, and, and again, the, the title of uh, James Perloff's book. I've got his notes. I've got the notes here. Uh, Truth is a lonely warrior. And, and folks, I would urge everyone to read that book because it's got a lot of historical uh, foundations and facts, and um, it, it'll change your worldview on on, uh, on change your historical worldview. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, wow. So, so right now we find ourselves. Yeah. Well, let me back up a minute because you you said something and I I I, I wanted to address this because it kind of kind of went by very quickly. Um, the Hillary Clinton agenda, should she have become president, included the domestic um, uh, tra- transgender agenda in part. What else? Uh, in her plan was she going to based on your findings, was she going to implement because I, I find this uh, fascinating that we we dodged this bullet, but we're into something else but
4: well, I think that she uh, she was the perfect Rothschild candidate, and you know Lynn Rothschild and her uh, husband Evelyn de Rothschild even honeymooned at the Clinton White House you so know they're very close to the Rothschilds. I think that uh, domestically and in terms of foreign policy she was everything they wanted, but the problem was i think was that Hillary Clinton could not have re-energized America for more wars in the Middle East. She couldn't have gotten the cooperation of a Republican-controlled uh, legislature, and she would have had trouble getting cooperation of the, from the military. But the military was very gung-ho for Trump, and I was too. You know, I liked it, what he was saying about making America great again, uh, making America first again. And uh, But uh, bombing other countries has nothing to do with America first. By the way, I'm something of a student of the, of the Lindberghs, and uh, that phrase America first was largely coined by Charles Lindbergh, the aviator, and his uh, father, Congressman Father Charles Lindbergh Sr., who, by the way, tried to impeach the entire Federal Reserve Board in 1917. That's how on top of this guy, of uh, the world, uh, this guy was. But um, they were both very anti-war. Uh, the uh, Lindbergh Sr. tried to keep us out of World War One and World War Two. Uh, uh, Charles Lindbergh, the aviator, was part of the America First Committee. But I want to stress that America First meant staying at home and fixing America. America first did not mean you go overseas, kick butt, and build hundreds of overseas bases. That's not what it was about. It was about minding your own business. If the Monroe Doctrine is uh, good enough for us and foreign powers should not be interfering in our hemisphere, we should stay out of other people's hemispheres.
2: Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, our uh, I, I think you're right on the money when you talk about the fall of the Soviet Union. And the. we know that the military... Um, switch their focus from fighting communism to fighting terrorism almost instantaneously. And it's to keep that budget going and to keep it rising because without the enemies, you know, you're, you're gonna see a a big drop off and decrease in that money. So whether, whatever they did to create those enemies or to, or to uh, find them and keep this going, they've done it. And now we have whole new departments of government because of it, like the Department of Homeland Security. Mm-hmm. And it, it just gets worse and worse. It doesn't, we were talking about this earlier. The deep state and new world order agenda continue regardless of who's president. Because the president, one, apparently doesn't have enough power to stop it. And two, because the American people let that agenda continue, uh, unimpeded. But, but, but James, can we stop that? That's the question. You know, is, is there anything we could do to, to, is there
1: anyone we could put in there to, to stop this shadow government deep state stranglehold that they've got on us?
4: You know, uh, the truth probably is that they have enough power, uh, materially speaking, that this is going to be rectified by God himself. But in the meantime, I certainly believe that we should be doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And that means opposing evil, and God expects us to oppose it to the best of our abilities. I'm hopeful that with the continuing growth of the truth movement and um, media platforms such as YouTube 2 are providing the public, that more and more people, including people in our military, will wake up and maybe will start to rebel uh, more greatly against this. That's maybe wishful thinking, but it's what we should be doing. We should be opposing evil, and we we should be uh, trying to fulfill God's will uh, in our lives, and that means we should be peacemakers uh, here on earth, and we should certainly not be following an agenda that is set by people who are, are without question Luciferians.
1: No, I, I, I agree it, with you on is. that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But by the way, jamesperloff.com, go to go to his website. And, and the recent, not the most recent, but the March article that you have, an interview you granted, um, many Christians in America, you're dismayed by the fact that many Christians are saying Assad must go, Assad must go. And I think you, you made a good point at the beginning, uh, is what Assad really stands for and, and the fact that he's being mischaracterized. So if you don't mind driving driving that point home a little bit more for those people who are not familiar with with Assad, you know, um, because I think there's a lot of misinformation there.
4: Well, uh, that was the first question I asked my interview. Tell me about uh, Assad because I wanted people to know from a Christian perspective, and I sent your producer a a few images of uh, Christian Syrian soldiers praying in church and uh, other Christian photos from Syria. I don't know uh, if they uh, have those available to of play during the during yeah, broadcast. Yes, some of them are featured and if you scroll down on my website, you can see some of them there um but uh what my uh Syrian contact told me who is a very devout Christian is that the Christians of Syria love Assad you know he used to go out among the crowds uh in crowded malls I've uploaded this on the tweet- on the Twitter or retweeted what other t- people have done uh he's gone to a made in syria um convention hall surrounded by crowds of Syrians. Now, if he was killing hundreds of thousands of his civilians, like uh, Lindsey Graham says, he wouldn't dare go out without bodyguards amongst crowds like that because (laughs) some family member would stab him or shoot him uh, for vengeance. And, and, you know, in 2009 and 2010, CNN and Zogby did polls on the most popular uh, Arab leader in the Middle East, and both of them confirmed that Assad was the most popular Arab leader in the entire Middle East. It wasn't until 2011 after Libya fell, and Assad then suddenly had to go, and suddenly he became a dictator in the eyes of uh, the, the mainstream media and uh, the American government. This, is ha- this happened to Mubarak before that. It happened to the Shah of Iran when, in 1979 when suddenly it was his turn to go. Um, what my uh, Syrian Christian source told me was that uh, nobody in Syria... Uh, at one time, you know, they respected the United States, but they say, she says that everybody in Syria and in the entire Middle East knows that America could be your friend one day and stabbing the back next. Look at, uh, Saddam Hussein. We were arming him when Donald Rumsfeld was being sent over there by Ronald Reagan and then we turned on him. And look at the Taliban. At one time, we were, uh, arming them and now we've been fighting them for what, 17 years, 16 years in Afghanistan. And, uh, Assad, uh, regularly visits with the, uh, oh, you know what I should do? I want to read to you, uh, an excerpt from a joint statement by the Christian leaders of Syria. These are the, uh, patriarchs of the Roman Catholic Church, the, the Orthodox Churches, the joint statement by the Christian leaders of Syria. Again, two million, two million, uh, uh, Christians in Syria, almost. A quote, this brutal, this is in regard to the, uh, the most recent, um, airstrike All right. on, on Syria by, by, uh, By Trump. Quote, this brutal aggression is a clear violation of the international laws and the UN Charter because it is an unjustified assault on a sovereign country member of the UN. It causes us great pain that this assault comes from powerful countries to which Syria did not cause harm in any way. The allegations of the USA and other countries that the Syrian army is using chemical weapons and that Syria is a country that owns and uses this kind of weapon is a claim that is unjustified and unsupported by sufficient and clear evidence. The timing of this unjustified aggression against Syria when the independent international commission for inquiry was about to start its work in Syria undermines the work of this commission we salute the courage heroism and sacrifices of the Syrian Arab army that is both christians and muslims fighting together against the terrorists which courageously protect syria and provide security for its people we pray for the souls of the martyrs and the recovery of the wounded we are confident the army will not bow before the external or internal terrorist aggressions. They will continue to fight courageously against terrorism until every inch of Syrian land is cleansed from terrorism. Unquote. That is an excerpt from the statement of the joint Christian leaders of Syria. And, uh, you know, i, I got to bring out another point about this, which is that um, one proof that Trump knew there were no chemical weapons there, when he attacked Shayrat Air Base in 2017, you do not dismantle chemical weapons by, by exploding them. That will set off the chemical weapons into the atmosphere and will kill more civilians, the very thing that you are alleging to be concerned about. These most recent airstrikes, the most recent missile strikes, um, included a, an airstrike on Damascus. And by the way, these areas where we would be attacked on the, uh, uh, in uh, April were all cleared by the uh, chemical weapons inspectors as recently as last November, that they were not involved in chemical weapons production. But if they had been, the area we hid in Damascus was in a densely populated area. If they were making chemical weapons there, it would have killed hundreds or thousands of people. And the fact that they weren't uh, uh, killed is evidence, and the fact that we did bomb them is, is clear proof. You cannot dismantle chemical weapons by blowing them up. It's a very careful process. We ourselves dismantled serious chemical weapons. They agreed to that. We dismantled them. We discharged them. At, we, we disposed of them at the sea. You don't get rid of chemical weapons by by blowing them up. It's one more strike against, uh, no pun intended, against this these action by the U.S. government right, yeah. against a, a sovereign no, nation that yeah. is exhausted from fighting uh US and Saudi backed
1: I I got I got to tell you you've got no argument from me there because you're you're correct. You, you, uh, yeah, that's like uh that's like dismantling a bomb by blowing it up. Yeah. You correct. know, it's it's just not it doesn't make any sense. It, which brings me to and folks and, and and Mr. Perloff, I hope you don't mind. I just it brings me back to your book Truth Is a Lonely Warrior again because you draw so many uh there there's so many parallels to the very things that you're talking about today with the historical things that you talk about in your book and you write about in your book I I should say and I know that you you're the author of several books but but this one struck a chord with me uh specifically and I know I talk about this every time you're on the show uh but but, but you know you you go through many many different histor many different times in history from for example, who benefited from the mysterious sinking of the USS Maine for example. Relevant to what we, what we see today what we call false flags and, and even to the extent of Jimmy Carter's ascendancy from obscurity to presidency we saw that with Obama it's almost as if you're um, I just have to give you a lot of praise for for writing the book and, and, and going over some pretty difficult facts, or difficult, uh I shouldn't say difficult facts, but facts that are difficult to discuss in uh, mixed company, shall we say. So thank you for doing that. And, and, and again, folks, uh, Truth is a Lonely Warrior. It's a great book by James Perloff, jamesperloff.com. But I, I want to compliment you on that because much of what we see today, and we're talking about even today with Syria, is covered through your research and investigative findings in that book. So it's a good foundational research tool for people to to use. So thank you on that. And I apologize for and, digressing on that.
4: Well, thank you. Uh, a digression like that is always welcome. And Truth is a Only Warrior um, is a primer on the New World Order. I start out by talking about false flags that have led us into wars, including uh, the Lusitania yeah. and the sinking of the Maine, and Tonkin Gulf and Pearl Harbor which we had foreknowledge of and did provoke um, and uh, other false flags that have occurred you know the incubator baby stories there's so many times we have been deceived into war when you see that there's a pattern to that you start to say well who's behind this pattern and then you look and you see that there is actually an oligarchy that exists in America and that's what the second chapter of the book is about and one reason I wrote that book Truth is Lonely Warrior was to give people uh, within a 340 page format a pretty full picture of what's been going on and the continuum of history. It really is a continuum because you've had the same satanic deep, deep state running world affairs and slowly growing its world government. You saw it in World War I with the League of Nations and World War II with the UN. If we had a World War Three, you would get there. they would get their world government. You see it from going from the Fed to the World Bank and the IMF to eventually a world currency and perhaps the Mark of the Beast. You see it with the Balfour Declaration. Uh, leading to the state of Israel and state of Israel being set up to become greater Israel or the center or the capital of this world government. Uh, you see it with communism, police state, Stalinist state, uh, the first one created by World War I, and then half of the world being covered by communism in World War II, and they would have a, a, a full-blown police state for the world if they got a third world war going. So there's a continuum to history. And my book talks about, it talks about chemtrails, it talks a full chapter nine eleven, 9-11, a full chapter on the Vietnam War. I wanted to give people, um without taking up too much space, I'd want to give them a huge volume like, uh, Carol Quigley, uh, has done, you know, not anyone with a thousand page reader that nobody could get through, but something that would be uh, reader friendly, um that would, uh, be a book that you could give to skeptics because I find that if you only give people one part of the picture. If you talk about just Pearl Harbor, just 9-11, people immediately respond, well, why didn't, why would our own government do that to us? Right. And so you need to know some about who the government really runs our government. You have to, and they'll say, well, why wouldn't the, the mass media, why wouldn't the newspapers and television tell us about it? So you have to show them who really runs the TV networks and the newspapers. You have to give them the full picture. And that's what I tried to do with Truth is the Lonely Warrior was to give people a, uh, a condensed but full narrative, so they could get uh, not just one piece of the jigsaw puzzle, but the full jigsaw puzzle.
1: And, and mission accomplished on that, I think. Uh, the the, the uh, chapter, especially on, on Carter, uh, I just it fascinated me as well as the Pearl Harbor. And you were on our, our program,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, talking about Pearl Harbor, which I, I I still remember that program, and I still remember that your your uh, and that was a couple of years ago now, but the way you laid it out, and I thought, we got a ton of email on that, by the way, just, you know,
2: fascinating, Uh, fascinated people. Uh, Wow, just wow. People can wonder how it happens, but, you know, for so long, our government has been on the the wrong side of history and the wrong side of truth, even though it was established, you know, with the majority of Christian population and our Constitution. Same thing with so many other things. God established for good it's used by evil for bad and and we see this uh across the board, whether it's the our American government, even whether it's Israel Israel is prophetically established uh that it was gonna become a nation again, but just like anything else, just like our government there are there is used but taken by Satan and used for evil, just like we have in the church. we have our own Bible being used against us in our church- in our own Christian churches here in America, as Brandon House detailed last night, so there is uh a historical and uh, plenty of of current evidence that shows how these uh, things that are are established for good are used for evil over and over again, and it's a uh, the the truth is there's a fine line there which is the truth, and these people are masterful at manipulating that and blurring that, and that's what we're seeing taking place now, and they're going to continue to do that, but the the line of the agenda, what you just laid out, James, that agenda pretty much stays the same, and and the goals at the end of it. Are uh, universal as far as you know The one world government, one world monetary system One world spiritual and political systems That's all laid out in prophecy too So uh, anybody who thinks that There's, you know, what, what we see today is uh, Counter-biblical, it's not It really isn't, and it is uh, So important that we make these distinctions And listen to, and, and find That truth of what's really going on versus what we're being Told and what we're uh, being told We're supposed to, how we're supposed to see it I hope that made sense
4: no, it does. Uh, we're on a continuum of history, and you're right, uh, good things can be, uh, used for, for, uh, bad. You know, actually the last blog post I had, it just came out about three or four days ago, and I know you guys commented on it, uh, in, in private emails, uh, was about uh, why there was a golden age of television. You know, when television first came out, it was incredibly Christian. I've been looking into some of the, uh, productions that were on television in the early fifties, and you know, the very first, Song ever to be featured on television. Oh, thank you. You brought, uh, brought that up. Uh, the very first song featured on television was called I Believe. It was all about faith in God. And there were so many shows that positively portrayed the church and ministry. And the reason was they wanted to get the TVs into the homes. And then around 1963, when uh TV hit saturation and over 90% of the homes had TVs, that's when they started to tweak the content. That's when they started to boil the frog. And until you got the really satanic stuff you see today, but of course they couldn't have gotten away with that in the 50s. They had to be very, very gentle and mild and give people uh, something they thought would be a positive tool. And I actually honestly think that television was used as a tool for good when it had to Leave It to Beaver and Father Knows Best. They were teaching positive moral lessons, and I think it actually had a positive effect on America at that time. But, again, they, they tweaked it, they bowled the frog over decades, and now it's unrecognizable from its original content. And,
1: and, and you know, James, uh, very, lately I, I have not had the, uh, the feeling, a good feeling of, after reading a lot of uh, blog posts and, and, and news reports and such, but uh, I would urge everyone to go to com and read the article, The Real Reason There Was a Golden Age of Television. I actually came came away from that. Uh, that article uh, uplifted, even though it <laughs> it's it's kind of a weird feeling. But, but walking through that time period that that you provided was 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 because I lived that as yeah, well. 1940s, right? <laughs> hey, no, no, oh come on, <laughs> <messing with> you. <laughs> but uh, you know, but I remember that that the, the tail end of that era, and, you know. So, so you did a, a masterful job, and that's not just. To flatter you, but you did a masterful job in going through that that uh, that era it, because that, that that became such a a big part of social fabric back then. And and, and to see how that was twisted actually, and how that was exploited, it, it, very 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 well written too, by the way. So uh, jamesperloff.com dot com and and the article itself, the real reason there was a golden age of television, and I do remember that candy line uh, or the uh, uh, candies. What is it? I love Lucy the candy conveyor belt thing. Oh, oh yeah,
4: yeah, 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 uh, uh, speed it up. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And then Vita, 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 vegemon and all that. But, but you know, and it, 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 so, I mean, I, I found myself chuckling at that and, and laughing. And then, yeah, you know, I can see how it was exploited for, uh, nefarious purposes. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's wow. So you did a great job on that article, by the way. So thank you for that. Uh, uh, although again, what we what we're left with is what are we left with with this? You know, the, the, with with the with the not so golden age of television. Uh, my well, goodness,
4: I, I I quoted at the end uh, Anton LaVey He was the founder of the Church of Satan. Uh, he was uh, perhaps the leading Satanist in the world, and he commented on how television was used for satanic purposes and how it became uh, the the, uh, the TV set became the new family uh, altar. It was replacing. um um, uh, morality plays on TV were replacing, uh, the, the, the gospel and, um, uh, going to church and how the TV antennas were, were replacing church steeples. And he was saying that in something called the devil's notebook written in 1992. Right. Um, just confirming what I was observing independently, uh, about the uses of television. So we're moving. I think there's no, there's simply no question about the fact that we're moving further and further away. From, uh, godliness and further down the, 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 path that Satan wants to take us both geopolitically in the world of, uh, the, the arts, um, in every phase, uh, the, the, the transgenderism that came on the heels of gay marriage being legalized. We see, the, uh, a constant decline in, um, the morality and, um, the adherence to truth, uh, in the West and the awareness of people well, I'll uh, see. The, the awareness, in some sense, has uh, has gone down, and as far as people who are matrixed who are glued to the mainstream media, but at the same time, there are a number of people who are waking up, and that's what shows like yours, uh, the Hickman Report, is accomplishing. And I do run into more and more people who weren't awake before, but are awake now, and uh, I'm hopeful that enough people can wake up that maybe we can uh, create sort of a Nineveh situation where maybe. Uh, I, I do think those prophecies are certainly going to be fulfilled, but you might recall that God once uh prophesied the doom of Nineveh, and he told uh Jonah to go preach it to the people of Nineveh, and when they repented from their evil ways, God relented, and, and uh, he held back the storm of judgment that he was going to bring on that city. I'm hoping that we can wake enough people up. I do know that regardless of whether we win in the human sense or not, this battle against Satanism that... Um, God wants us to keep on fighting, keep on doing the right thing, well, uh, keep on doing His will.
1: We do know how that, we do know how the, this, we do know how everything ends and we do know that we win. So that's, that's, we as Christians we win. Right, exactly. Let me go back because I, I, honest to goodness, it, it was, uh, it was before Ohio. So it was whatever week that was. It was, uh, about four, it was 430 in the morning. I came to my office. I turned on, I was going to watch, uh, uh, a replay of, of, of a news program and instead I, I turned it on to one of the lesser known cable stations. The very episode, and i got to go back to this and I'm sorry because I like this so much, the very episode of Barney Miller that, she, that you referenced, it was back in um, I think it was 1981 mm-hmm. uh, right. that you were talking about there was like a three minute segment in there mm-hmm. about the this reference to the Trilateral Commission and, uh, this new world order, which I, I remembered seeing it back then, not understanding it. And then you wrote about it and I saw it again. And I thought, wow, man, it's, it's really, talk about uh, conditioning or what would that, what would you, what would you call that? Not conditioning, but, uh, uh some insight into what was going on, uh, even back then.
4: He was taking people, people who are politically alert and making them look like they were nuts. And right. It's the same thing that's happening today with the uh, denunciations of fake news and the attempts to suppress YouTube channels and Facebook accounts of people who are working hard to alert people to the very things we've been talking about uh, tonight and that you guys regularly talk about on your program.
2: And James, we only have a, a few minutes left. Just real quick on what you said about the decline of our educational system and our morality as we see it each year getting worse and worse. I believe I read something today that said in 1962 is when they removed the Ten Commandments uh, from the schools or from the courthouse, and there's a correlation with uh, educational standards and s a t scores that declined from whenever that date was uh, and, and moving forward and then today you see the uh how many students that they they put out these statistics of uh the horrible math and reading proficiency of eighth graders across the United States and I think it was Detroit who had you know ten percent proficiency in reading of among eighth graders and nine percent in math, so I mean just these horrible numbers and they continue to just dumb us down, dumb us down. But there's a correlation between, I believe, our morality and our education and, uh, you know, what we see, how far we've fallen, you know, just from the, the late sixties, early sixties. And that it doesn't happen one, you know, it's not just the education system. I think it's all inclusive where, you know, you have the morality falling, you have the, the people moving away from God. Then all these other things, uh, start to fall like dominoes. And I think that it is all wrapped up in the, in the spiritual nature of the population.
4: Right, uh, you know, God said, uh, 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 obey God first and these other things shall be added to you. If you disobey God, I think other things will be taken away from you. And you're right about those SAT scores. I haven't seen that stat for a while, but I do recall, you know, the, the Supreme Court gave us a one-two punch in 1962. They, uh, banned school prayer, um, and in 1963, they banned reading the Bible. So by 1963, uh, God had been expelled from public schools. And starting in 1963, there was an 18-year decline. The SAT scores went down every year, without exception, until 1981, which is the year that Reagan got elected. Now, I'm not a huge Ronald Reagan fan, but I think enough people kind of got um, primed by the election of Ronald Reagan to think that, you know, in their own in their own day and age, that America was being made a great again, and they took pride in that. And it, Americans got a little self-respect, and the SAT scores did climb back up Reagan's first year in office. And I, so it's not coincidental. There's definitely a correlation between how well we do and how well we obey God
2: our guest is James Perloff go to his website jamesperloff.com James we're absolutely out of time we want to thank you so much for a tremendous interview so educational and insightful from Syria to uh, I mean you you ran the whole Mm -hmm.
1: gambit and we really appreciate that and by the way folks truth is look I know James has written a lot of books the truth is a lonely warrior you got to get that book James thank you for writing this appreciate it thanks for coming on thank you guys
4: for having me on uh, you guys are exceptional hosts. You're so well informed. Uh, I know you get a lot of input from other people, and you're probably two of the best informed guys on the planet. So thank you very much. You're doggone right. right we are.
2: <laughs> I'm not <laughs> no kidding. kidding. Thank you. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Anytime, brother. Okay. All right, Thanks.
2: man. All right. When we come back, Pastor David Langford will be our guest. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> And welcome back to our third and final hour on this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. Today is May 2nd, 2018. We're going to be joined by Pastor David Langford from the Voice of Evangelism, who joins us each Wednesday in the third hour. One of our, uh, the Hagman Report's official pastor and one of our favorite guests. Uh, and he brings a, uh, a very timely spiritual message every time he comes on. Uh, do we have him? Okay. Pastor yeah,
1: Langford. Wait a second. Wait a second.
2: We have America's coach. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's Dave Dommaer. It's America's coach. And he's also the coach of the Hagman team. Now we have the America's pastor. That's, these are my words now. America's pastor and also the official pastor of the Hagman, Hagman crew. So we're doing good. We're doing well. Mm -hmm. So uh, sorry about that. I interrupted uh, Joe and I, now, now I'm off. Mad coach cow disease, are, are you
3: running the the four forty sprint? Has the coach got you running four hundred forty yards?
1: Man, he's no got me doing, squ- you know, he's got me doing squat thrusts, and he's got me doing jumping jacks, and I don't know why I am doing it, but you know. Uh, okay. and, and and and, Pastor, you got me on my knees every night, which uh, that's a good thing. Amen. Uh, so, uh, uh, but but, but uh, thank you. You know what? Thank you for being there, and we all need our, our spiritual B twelve shot to really uh, to really put things in perspective, because man, things are just it's kind of like trying to catch uh, you know fireflies you're just out there swatting
3: I was listening to your previous guest 1984 Ronald Reagan declared the Bible to be made 84 to be the year of the Bible yes and uh, so there was an impetus there because I was evangelizing at that time and I was uh, a big purveyor of the Bible on cassette uh, back in those days you, you remember the cassette
1: oh and, yes <laughs> yes a track A track uh, brother
3: Oh yeah, oh, yeah, I got an A-track too. <laughs> uh, I learned a lot about tape in those days. <laughs> you ever took Scotch tape and, and uh, split them back together? Or
1: oh, oh back yeah. To? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep.
3: yep. <laughs> yeah. Not uh, to lose that tape. Uh, very, very important to keep it, wasn't it? Oh,
1: no, absolutely. But, 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 so 1984, the year of the Bible, Ronald Reagan, and I think there's some parallels to Reagan to today or Today to Ronald Reagan's time, you know, you've you've got prayer back really in 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 vogue, shall we say? Which I maybe that's not the the right terminology to use, but but now we've got a uh, uh, a Christian bias to our political agenda, in my view, at least domestically, and I think that's a good thing.
3: Oh, absolutely! You know, I was thinking listening to your, I said, your previous guest, um, Obama was a pacifist, which helped accelerate. You know, the Iranian situation, without a doubt. And in, it's like Gabriel is a messenger angel. Michael is a warring angel. So God, you know, he changes uh, the, the captain of the ship periodically. And there's a reason behind that. And it, it, it will not surprise me at all if we see uh, a full-blown war in the Middle East and, uh, for the most part, the whole world be involved in it. Uh, that was Albert Pike's uh, design, you know, three world wars. And uh, we're, we're getting to the precipice and you have a different mentality. I mean, you look at the difference between Barack Hussein Obama, quote-unquote Muslim, and Donald J. Trump, quote-unquote Christian, and look at the difference how they deal with everything. You know, prayer, uh, military uh, negotiations, uh, one is sly, subtle, deceptive, the other one's in your face, blusterous. Uh, total different mindset. Uh and again that's why God said the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And um, and I know there are those out there fomenting that, you know, Israel is stoking America to attack Iran. Um, this is this is such a dangerous state, uh, because there's so many people espousing replacement theology. And I was reading again today in Acts chapter one, and I'm not gonna be talking about that tonight, but even after the resurrection. The disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, they asked Christ saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for God through his son Jesus Christ to restore the messianic kingdom through Israel. And of course, his response was to them, "It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in His own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you." He didn't deny the fact that they would, the kingdom would be restored through them. See, so I'm telling you, those of you out there who are, 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 are becoming arrogant and very self righteous and very bigoted, uh, there's the Israel of God, and there, there's Israel that's not of God and this is why it's so dangerous you're making yourself judge and jury and that's why the disciples were trying to gather the wheat in Matthew 13 he said no you'll pull up good wheat with the tares the angels will do the separating when I return they'll gather the tares, they'll bundle them, and they'll put them into the fire and so I'm concerned that a lot of people have in, have embraced you know, Replacement theology That is that is heresy That is fallacy uh, God is not done with Israel Romans 11.25 says Blindness in part has happened unto Israel Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in Read that That means that somewhere sometime God's going to pick up his program with Israel Once he's through working with the Gentiles Blindness in part has happened Unto Israel Until the fullest of the Gentiles be coming. so we're gonna do this program until ten o'clock and then we're out something's gonna change and, and and these are the the little nuances scripturally that so many people are I don't I, you know I'm amazed uh, and I pray constantly for God's wisdom and understanding of the scriptures. let me see the things in the scriptures that people are not seeing or beholding why because the, the truth is there as I said some time ago in the newsletter I wrote, we have two mediums of truth. The first truth that ever was was the Word of God. Psalms 119, verse 160 says, Thy Word was true from the beginning. So that's one medium of truth. Then the other medium of truth is the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Matthew 16:13. 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. So I have two forms of truth to help me navigate through this maze here in these last days. I have the Word, and then I have the Holy Spirit. Both of them are in unity. The Holy Spirit will never tell you anything contrary to the Word of God. Uh, you know, the, the, the preterist uh, doctrine is really resurfacing again, and, and some guy wrote me the other day, and that's where he was going, Uh, And then when I rebuked him, and I said, where is then the resurrection of my loved ones? And then he got, you know, all upset then, because I could see where he was going. But see, they want to say, well, the book of Revelation, all that was fulfilled, uh, you know, in 70 A.D. Can't be, because we've not witnessed the first resurrection of the righteous dead. And so, you know, we've got some things that are, are, are historic, some things are futuristic, some things are present. You know, you you look at Revelation 9 and 21. They repented not of their sorcery, their murders, their thefts, and of their fornications. Well, uh, does, is that going on today? Well, absolutely. Uh, look at the opioid crisis in the state of West Virginia. Uh, I forget how many millions and millions of, of uh, hydrocodone pills have gone through that. There was one town up there with 400 people went through something like, you know, a million pills a month. It was just, the number was off the charts. Uh, so when you read the book of Revelation, there are things that are happening in the present, and the book of Revelation is certainly not in chronological order. Uh, uh, you, 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 basically, what would be in order would be chapters 4 uh, through 11, then 12 to 19 are filling in chapters like the Mark of the Beast. That's chapter 13 chapter 7 you got the sealing of the 144,000 Jews see and and I tell people it's clear he's going to seal these Jews out of each tribe 12,000 out of each tribe and then people say well now God is working through spiritual Israel the church well they don't understand the book of Revelation because if you go back and read Revelation 21 when God allows new Jerusalem to descend out of heaven from God John sees it he sees on the, on the gates of pearl, he sees the, the names of every tribe. There are 12 gates of pearl. On every pearl, there's the name of one tribe. Then he saw the foundations. And on the 12 foundations were the 12 apostles. He tells us in Matthew 19 that the apostles are going to judge the, the heads of the tribes of Israel. So he, he does give preeminence to the dispensation of the church over the old testament because he says you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna judge them but if 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 there's no such thing as Israel why bother to put these twelve names on the twelve uh pearl gates of pearl so when you see New Jerusalem you're gonna see that's the that's who the twenty four elders are by the way. You know people say, oh well that's another picture of the church. No we got 12 elders of Israel. Go back and read the book of Exodus. They already have the elders. They are the 12 sons of Jacob slash Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So when you read Jacob or you read Israel, you're really fundamentally talking about a man. You see, the the, the, the terms are interchangeable, Jacob and Israel, Jacob and Israel. Matter of fact, when you go back and you read the closing chapters about Genesis 39 to the death of Jacob, one time you'll see God use the name Jacob, that talks about his weakness, his fragility, um, his ineptness. Then He'll sometimes call him Israel. Why? He's a prince and he has power with God. So it's, it's 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 on and it's off because this is the this is the personification of the flesh and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit. Uh, you know, Jacob was subtle. His mother helped him. Uh, deceitfully get the birthright from Esau. Esau didn't care about it. He sold it for a, a bowl of beans, so he didn't care about it. And God already knew that, but He manifested what was in His heart. But you know, I, I was just thinking today as I was reading and meditating on some things. You know, we're, we're we're getting to a a very pressure point. But there, you know, things are heating up again, and this time it's you know Obama was not going to do anything. You know, uh, and and and, and you know, whether it's you know gas attack or whatever, he he was such a pacifist. But now you have a a, a man that has put you know uh, the people around him that are military minded and are you might say in some degree warmongers. You know, John Bolton, Pompey, Mathis. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys that are there uh, that are you know trigger happy. You might say. Why is that? God is allowing certain things to come to pass. And, and and I don't doubt, in the least bit, that Israel would not like for America to deal with Iran. I mean, if, if there's a bully on the school bus and he's pushing you around all the time, you'd like one of the big guys on the bus who the bully's not pushing around to take him out for you, you know? And uh, that's just common sense, uh, the, 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 the the ability to absorb loss industry production etc Israel's a very very small nation very small state for that matter and uh so they would yeah they'd love for America to deal with it don't know how all this is going to play out but you can sense in your spirit there's something building and it's greater than what we've seen uh, in the last several decades um, I, I if somebody asked me the other day What's going on with North Korea? I don't have a, a legitimate answer if I could use that term. I mean, this guy is either full of terror, fear, anxiety that, that Trump is going to take you know uh, strategic nukes and take him out. or he's trying to reel Donald Trump in. and you know as bombastic as Trump is, you know, he's not going to be shamed. And if you do shame him, he's going to come back in profuse retaliation. That's his nature. And, it's see, God puts men in there like that, that have that nature. David was a man of war. That's why God would not allow him to build the tabernacle, the temple. He said, no, you've, you've had too much blood shed. He was a man after God's own heart. But he was constantly shedding blood. So he said, your son Solomon. Will build me the temple. I'll let you aggregate and get all the material together for the building of the temple. But you're not going to build the temple. Uh, now, that's like a double standard. But God does have standards, but there's more to it than what we see in the natural. Um, there's, there is something dynamic going on. And, uh, you know, I, I'm waiting for something very uh, tremendous, something that probably most of us are not anticipating, we're not expecting, uh, I'm, I'm waiting for something to, to come to pass. Uh, I read an article today, you guys may have read it, uh, how the Mossad uh, has been so strategic throughout the years, infiltrating places and nations and countries and institutions. Uh, they were the first recorded spies when they went down to Cana land, uh, and Joshua sent them down there. They were the first spies, uh, and they've been spying ever since then. And uh, they have a knack for it, God has undoubtedly enabled them, and there, there, there is something dynamic taking place, something dynamic going on, and it will involve the whole world, because this is where Christ is returning. And people say, well, again, that's that, that Israel over there is false, it's fake, it's not real. Well, when Jesus returns, which Jerusalem is he returning to? The one in, in Russia? The one in America or the one in Israel.
1: And, and Pastor, if I could just interject, I rarely ever interject you during, during your sermons. But thank you for addressing this because people sometimes get the wrong idea. What you said it to me is so important. It speaks to my heart. And I think, I think a lot of people, because of the emails that we get, especially after talking about Israel or geopolitical events, you said a couple of things I think people really need to in my view, really need to embrace. God puts leaders into power for his use, and I think that's what we're seeing here. And then when we do speak of Israel and the geopolitical side of things, when you start talking in those terms, you got to be very careful because you're trying to thread a needle, I think, and you can be very easily hijacked into the anti-Semitic realm uh, through malicious intent which you pastor thank you so much for for being that uh, compass in, in, in guiding us through the biblical aspects which is lacking in my view from the analysis all across well, the board so thank you I just and I'll shut up now but I thank you for allowing no,
3: what well, what you said is, is is so profound you know I, I'm 63 I don't have the eyes to thread the needle anymore without magnifying glasses, and 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 you see the world. This is this is the problem with world and worldliness. Everything becomes skewed. Everything becomes blurred, and that is intentional. Uh, Paul in Second Corinthians two eleven he said, "Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." One of the greatest problems. And the Christian church today is ignorance. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to make a lot of people mad, but that's okay. I hear a lot about Christianity in the Middle East. But you're talking about Catholicism, folks. You're not talking about true biblical Christianity. You're talking about Catholicism, orthodoxy. I was just reading the other night. When you read Revelation chapter 18, the mother of harlots, mystery Babylon, look at how the bishops and the cardinals, look at how these people dress. Look who has shed a plethora of blood throughout the years, the Inquisition. When anybody opposed the Catholic Church, they for the most part, they took them out. They, 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 they were in such opposition and Ratzinger said we will always be the mother church we'll never be a sister church or a daughter church we are the mother church and that's why I wrote that book The New Jerusalem Bride and Mystery of the Church that is Satan's substitutionary church in the last days feminine not masculine but feminine we the church is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and so listen, Satan, I was reading the other day, whatever happened to the apostles, the apostolic ministry, the Catholic Church came in and filled that vacuum with cardinals and bishops. They 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 begin to do things because it was it's all it's always been about controlling the the, the, the people, the Christians. Uh and this is where people get seduced. Second Timothy three thirteen, but evil men. And seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We have people in Washington that are trying their hardest. I mean, they're expending all sorts of energy and efforts and and leaking to deceive the American people. Paul said, not only will they deceive you, they become more deceived themselves. You know, Hitler's the one that made the statement. Tell a lie, tell it often enough, you'll begin to believe it. When Hitler went to prison, he came out he spent, I think he spent two or three years in prison. When he came out of prison, he said he learned the power of propaganda. Propaganda is what people do today to sway a culture, a generation. They 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 they, they, they filled this generation with lies. They, they, as Paul said, they changed the truth of God into a lie, Romans 1 and 25. Romans one twenty two. professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They'll tell you and I, Joe, Doug, they'll tell you they're smarter than we are. They'll tell you and I, you guys are idiots. You believe in an old uh, historical book that has no power, no nothing. You're You're behind the eight ball. No, I'm not. They are the ones. Because Paul said, in the last days, they would change the truth of God. They would turn it into a lie. And then he said they would worship and serve the creature more than the creator. Instead of giving God, Jehovah, the glory, they cast the glory upon the men. And, you know, Romans uh, one twenty-eight. even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate minds to do those things which are not convenient. See, when you don't retain God in your knowledge, you then produce a reprobate mind. And then you do those things which are not convenient. And the word convenient there in the Greek means you are doing everything that is unbecoming in every sense of the word. So even if they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, they, they don't want that conviction. They don't want that honesty. They don't want that uh, uh, transparency. You know, Christians want to be right in the context they don't want to live a life of sin. If I've done something wrong, my nature is to make it right. If I'm not doing something right, I've got to change. I've got to make it right. I- I've got to get my life straightened out. Uh, uh, Psalms ten four: the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. I mean, you you think Mueller and and, uh, 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 Rosenstein and all these, you think in the morning they get on their knees and say, Now, God, I ask you to humbly order my steps in your word that I will not sin, that I will make the best decisions I possibly can make, and that I will incorporate your word in my life to keep me from erring? Heck no, they don't do that. By God, Strock's committing adultery. He, he he's having an, a, an adulterous affair. That, that that guy. These people have no God consciousness. They don't look at what will be the end results. And 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 those that are listening tonight, you know, I don't know when you got on the the bus of Christianity and you started following God. And, and you started committing your life to God, but you need to be grateful and thankful for the the influence of true Christianity. I'm not talking about religion. I'm, I'm not talking about orthodoxy. You know, I, I'm not talking about uh, you know doing religious things. That does not save anyone. I had a guy. He was in his 80s. I was in a in a in a, in a man's office one day in a real estate broker's office, and he he was nearing the end of his life. His name was uh, Bill Huff. And um, he said, could you come here and sit down for a minute, preacher? Uh, Doug had gotten on the phone, and um, he started conveying his heart to me. He'd, he'd been in Hollywood, he'd, he'd done a few gigs with uh, uh, Andy Griffin and some different things out there, and he was telling me. and But I could see he was wanting me to speak to him in a spiritual application. But he was on the defense. He said, you know, I, I'm a good man. He said, if if you and I were out on a workplace job and, 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 and I had a sandwich and you didn't have a sandwich, he said, I'd give you half of my sandwich. And, and he, he kept on talking that way, and I said, Bill, you must be born again. And, and he looked at me, and I said, you must come to the knowledge of Christ. Good deeds, good works, that, that does not save anybody. This is why I tell people, moral people have standards and guidelines but just because you're morally good doesn't mean you're a Christian either but a Christian must have high morals because you can't say you're a Christian if you do not if I say I'm a Christian and I'm a drunkard and a womanizer uh, you know people going to look at me and say hey dude you're a hypocrite what you are you're, you're, you're not telling the truth well, this is the problem. Every man is trying to make a means, a way for his own salvation. And and salvation is in nobody but Jesus. Acts four twelve. neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none of the name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And uh, it wasn't long after that, Bill, the guy I was talking to, had a heart attack. And so he went into the hospital. And the sad thing was, he went into DTS because he was drinking about four to six highballs every night. Well, they didn't know that. See, you know, when they put him in the hospital and thinned his blood and trying to get his heart, everything straightened out, and he, now he's going into withdrawals. See, that that had that had that may have been, you know, what helped bring him down in a sense. But my point is, goodness, doing good deeds, doing good things. That's not what saves a man. What saves a man is the blood of Jesus Christ. as I watch the world and and how it's configuring itself, I'm sitting here and I'm looking and I'm saying, man, this thing is getting so messed up and, you know, they're going to try to create the order out of chaos, see? They're going to try to pull a, a God thing when, when the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Except God didn't create that. What God created was good. It was Satan, Lucifer, who had this uh, rebellion and caused this cataclysmic, catastrophic event and distorted everything that God had ever made. And so God recreated it, and then, of course, he got into the garden and took mankind down and the only way God could get us back was through his son Jesus Christ because when God breathed into man the God particle came into mankind the God particle, that eternal life that breath went into man and so the devil was certitude he was confident there's no way God now can redeem man but that's where God always has and I'm not using this as a pun but the trump card so he created his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice it says, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Christ was not a sinner. We are sinners. Christ was not a sinner. Christ is our Redeemer. Christ is our Advocate. Christ is our Mediator. And that's how God could reconcile man back to himself by allowing his son to be incarnate and and bring him into the world. And thus he did. I was reading the other night, and I've been doing some reading on Catholicism, and, you know, I I, I kind of embraced the ideology of the Immaculate Conception. Mary conceived and was done by the Holy Ghost, but that's not what Catholicism teaches. Catholicism teaches she, he took on her nature. Jesus took on her nature. So they laud, they extolled the, quote-unquote, Virgin Mary. Well, she may have been a virgin. And I don't doubt that one bit because Isaiah seven fourteen says, "Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign: Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and that shall call his name Emmanuel." I don't doubt that at all. But she also was sinful. See, so th- this is this is the, this is the thing that still man will never understand uh, Elohim in, in in his deity, his majesty, because it's it's too great for a finite brain to grasp and get his head around all of that. You know, but Jesus was all God. Jesus was all man. And we can't understand that because we have a sin nature. You know, something goes wrong, man, that fleshly nature will raise its head in about a half a second and just like, oh, boy, you better cool your jets. You know, uh, like the old cliche, he, he, he flew off the handle. You know, I used to hear my Papaw use that term. Man, that guy got mad and flew off the handle. Well, one time I watched a matic come off the handle, and you, you, when that sucker comes off, you better you better hope it don't come toward you, because it'll kill you. Or a, 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 a hammer uh, on a on a handle, or an axe. I remember my grandpa would take the axe and go out there to an old spigot and run water all over the handle and the axe head. Why? I said, what are you doing? He said, that that wood is going to absorb that water and swell up to keep that that axe head from coming off that handle. See, the wood would wick up the water and swell. See, well, um, there were things they understood. You had to do something to preserve your safety, and and that handle or whatever wicking up the water so it would swell. Well, we're we're in an hour when all common sense and, and uh, wisdom is just thrown out the door uh, temperance patience is thrown out the door we re, we uh, react rather than responding we don't contemplate we don't meditate we don't deliberate we don't pray we just we just fire shots you know and then we say we'll deal with the the, the carnage afterwards well that's carnality you know that's that's carnally mindedness and that that's what keeps us in such a a pathetic and pitiful state. You know, I watched a little bit of uh, the West Virginia debate last night for about, oh, about 45 minutes, and uh, I learned things that, that I did not know, but, you know, Mitch McConnell's wife is of Asian descent, and her dad is big into the shipping industry. And they caught, uh, I forget how many millions of dollars of cocaine on one of the ships, and that's why Blankenship, uh is using the term cocaine Mitch. And I thought, you know, th- th- this thing is like a bowl of noodles or spaghetti. It is so corrupt. It is so inter- tw- intertwined. Um, uh, Solomon said, there's, there's not a just man in the earth that doeth good and sinneth not in Ecclesiastes Chapter seven, verse twenty. Not a just man in all the earth. And, and, and it's this blanket ship guy? He's he's also a billionaire and the coal industry. And uh, he went to prison for a year. And it's because Obama, he said, was fighting the coal industry so terribly that they lessened the air in the uh, the 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 the, the, uh, the canals or whatever you want to call them, the caves, the the passageways in there. And and twenty nine men die. He said, but had they left us? with the air we're supposed to have, this would have never happened. He said, so I was the fallen guy. Yeah, I went to prison for a year. But I thought, here again, this man is a total outsider trying to, you know, throw uh what's the uh, liberal senator in West Virginia? Uh, I don't know. He feigns, uh, oh, he'll come to me. He feigns conservatism. But... uh, He's he just, you know, he, he he says he's a straight shooter, but he's not. But my point is, I, I watch this stuff, and I realize we're we're in a very tenuous and dangerous state right now. And think about what's going on. Why, why of the smallest, one of the smallest nations in the world, why is why are they involved? Why is it China? Why is it Russia? Uh, uh, United States, but all of a sudden, Israel, this little state, smaller than Rhode Island, Manchin, Joe Manchin.
2: Yeah, John just, just gave us uh, the two names. Uh, <laughs> he's one of them.
3: I might have to get another phone in here so I can let John feed me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but 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 think about that. you got the smallest nation in the world, and they're right in the middle of it. Why? Why? Why, why would, why would, of of all the things that are going on, would this little bitty nation be at the top of the list? You know, Pompeii was just over there with Benjamin Netanyahu. Yes, this is because God's hand is in it. And this is why you have to be careful, uh, lest you be found fighting God. I was looking while we were talking, that scripture I said in Matthew 19, now listen to this Matthew 19 and 28 and Jesus said unto them, the disciples verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man shall sit in the throne of his glory ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel that's What I was sharing in Revelation 21, you got the twelve apostles judging the twelve tribes of Israel—Benjamin, Dan, Judah, etc. God, His hand, His work is is involved in all of this, and and this is the reason we 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 have to be careful. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you. That everybody that says they are of Israel are of Israel because they're not. That that that's, you know, it, probably two or three years ago, Doug. We we talked about this uh, not in this death that you and I and Steve and Joe we we did this one night one one night about Ishmael, um, Romans nine and six. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. What Paul is saying are saying there is, the word of God has not failed, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called that is, they which are the children of the flesh these are not the children of God see, they're Ishmaelites they're Ishmaelites they're not the seed of Isaac. Jesus came through that promised seed. Galatians 3, 29. If ye are Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Okay? Ishmael was from Hagar. That was carnality. That was a work of the, of the flesh. That was not the work of God. See? But... He was still Abraham's seed, but he was not the promised seed. And so this is where we get into the confusion, and we take it upon ourselves to try to spiritualize Israel and declare emphatically that the church has replaced Israel. But no, no. This is why Ephesians 2 and 15 says God's going to take the Jew and the Gentile and then make one new man. But see, they're not in yet. Now you, we have some conversions, of course, uh, what, what we would deem messianic Jews, but we we don't have the real moving that God has promised would, would ultimately come to them in the end. Galatians three sixteen. Now to Abraham and his seed, that is single singular, were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant, the covenant God made with Abram in Genesis chapter 15, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after the law, was 430 years after the covenant with Abraham, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. So before there was ever a Mosaic law, you got to remember God had done establish a covenant with a man called Abram. His wife, Sarah changed her name to Sarah, his name to Abraham, and blessed him. Then he says in Genesis 12 and 3, I'll bless those that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and the process began. Then 430 years after that, it was Jacob who would ultimately have the 12 sons, and they all came down into Egypt, where Joseph already was, and God began to grow the nation of Israel. And that's why when you read Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 3, you'd hear the phraseology the elders. They already had a structure of government in the nation of Israel, though they were in bondage. You already had the 12 tribes when they came out. Remember, they were supposed to go into the promised land, and each tribe was to get a portion of the promised land. But they failed. They didn't get it. They got part of it. They didn't get all of it because they backslid before God's will was accomplished in their lives. But the promise, this is why in reality it was grace Law, and then grace again. And so, this is why it's dangerous to try to embrace the law. See, that's why Paul says there in Galatians 3, 17, and this I say that the covenant with Abraham that was confirmed before of God in Christ, Christ would come through the seed of Abraham. The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul, do away with, or make void, that it should make the promise of none effect So, what do people say? Well, why did we, why, why do we even get the law? Well, Paul goes on to tell us that the law was added because of transgressions till the seed, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels and the hand of a mediator, the mediator First Timothy two five where there's. One meeting be between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. It was angels who made the annunciation to the to the shepherds in uh, Luke chapter 2. Uh, the angel appeared to them and said, Behold, I bring unto you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you, shall find the babe baptized, swaddling, closing, lying and the manger. Suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward man. So everything that God says, ordained by angels, he, he fulfilled everything. I mean, there was nothing left out, nothing. And so, you know, there's one thing about getting older, Doug. Uh, our masculinity may be waning, but our wisdom is picking up. And and I'm learning. The more I learn, how much less I really know. But as I've gotten older, God has just begun to allow connecting the dots it's like somebody's the kid you know got the little dot picture but it's got one, two, three, four and you got about 40 dots you know and you keep going to the next number because I I knew how to count when I was you know six years old I can make the picture well that's kind of the way I see the word now I, I can connect the dots together because I see the numbers and once I connect all the numbers together I have a picture then you can color it in I know that's very elementary Rudimentary, but I, I see God letting me see the things in the scriptures and, and connecting the dots together, and then you get a picture, and, and the picture becomes clearer. Uh, the more of the dots you get connected, the clearer it comes. And all of this is 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 a mystery on the good side and on the bad side. Second Thessalonians 2, 7, Paul said, For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only who not letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way, then shall that wicked be revealed. Then Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, and the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. What's going to happen then? The dead in Christ will be raised. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we have a plethora of mysteries. Mystery Babylon. You see, the the Word of God is it's just there's just so much in it. I mean, I I every day I'm like, my Lord, I, I didn't see that. I didn't see this. I didn't understand that. And when when you just it's, it's like you just bathing in it, bathe your mind in the Word, then 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 you start seeing all of this stuff and you're saying man if people don't really get in the word number one and walk in the Holy Ghost number two they're going to miss so much and they're going to have a tremendous lack of understanding you know a scripture I committed to memory years ago I when I was young and just started trying to memorize Bible verses was was Luke twenty four forty five. then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and you know, when you when you get that understanding and you're reading verses in the Bible, they start making more sense. It's, it's like the clarity. Uh, you know, I'm the world's worst because I'm a man. Uh, to get something that's got to be put together, and I'll try to put it together. When I can't get it to work, I go read the manual. You ever, you ever done that, Joe or Doug?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> that, that's just a man's nature. We're going to try to <laughs> do it without reading it.
1: I, I just and get then, Eric to do it.
3: <laughs> I hear you. And then I end up with extra parts. And I'm like, oh, I wonder, wonder where that was supposed to have went. But yeah. the point is, when I read the book, when I read the Bible, I, I, I'm beginning to see the picture more clearly. See, and And, and so as I watch, this is why he says, be still, Uh, Psalms 46.10, he said, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, There are times we shouldn't be doing anything but just praying and meditating, trying to ascertain the mind, the will, the plan of God. Lord, where do you want me? What what am I supposed to be doing that I'm not doing right now? Where am I supposed to be going that I'm not even doing? got a clue. I'm, I'm supposed to be even going there. I did a program with you months ago, uh, uh, Ephesians 5 and 17, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You see, I can choose to be ignorant and unwise, or I can choose to have knowledge and be wise, not in my own conceit, but be wise in the Word, like the five wise virgins. And then you had the five foolish see we're 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 interwoven uh, as a, as a as a church uh figuratively what we see in the natural we're we're woven together with foolish virgins they were all virgins they all looked alike they they slumbered together their goal was the same to meet the bridegroom but they were different preparation the foolish took their lamps but they took no oil with them but the Bible said the wise took oil in their lamps with their vessels. In other words, they had a canteen, a container to take with more oil with them. Why? So they could be ready. And that's the key word. And they that were ready went in to the marriage and the door was shut. But before they went in, the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are going out. The, the 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 King James says our our lamps are going out. Uh, the Greek says our lamps are going out. We've all seen a if you're old enough you've seen a kerosene lantern and you see the uh, the kerosene is died most of the time red. And if you got the old fashioned wick, when that, when the kerosene is gone there's nothing for the wick to wick up and the flame begins to waver and then the soot and then finally. The lamp goes out. If you know anything about it, you've got to keep your wick trimmed, keep that burnt crust off of the wick so the they don't have soot. And you keep so your globe does not get sooted, covered with soot, and you can't see the light. Well, that's what he told them. They, they, they trimmed their lamps, but they didn't have any oil. And it seemed to me that was a very subtle message in there because the wise said to the foolish, but go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while wow, they went to buy, the bridegroom came. Well, guess what Revelation thirteen sixteen talks about? That no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name or the number of the beast. They were involved in commerce when they should have been getting ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. You, you see, that's, that's the ploy of Satan have you involved with the very thing you don't need to be involved in, like commerce, so that you're not ready when the bridegroom comes. And that's that's one of the great mysteries in Matthew 22, Matthew 25. You see the king, you see the wedding, you see the wedding feast, you see the bridegroom, but you never see a bride. That's why I wrote that book. Because people say, well, the church is the bride of Christ. Well, tell me, pray God, who's the body of Christ then? See, again, another mystery. Paul uses that analogy in Matthew, I mean, excuse me, Ephesians 5, of a husband and a wife, and them being joined together as one in holy matrimony, and he speaks that mystery in relation to the church. See? So that, that in itself is a mystery. And that's the protocol in Revelation 21 when he said to John, come here, I will show thee the bride, the the lamb's wife. Well, before you're married, your wife is your bride. After your marriage, she's not your bride. She's your wife. And that was the other revelation God showed me in Revelation 19 and 7 when it says there, and somebody sent me a book the other day. The guy's last name was... Wolfberg, he's a Jew without a doubt, but uh, he he doesn't get it either because I w- I was reading his writing, but he's he thinks that the 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 church is uh, the the wife in Revelation nineteen and seven, that's Israel. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. Oh, you got you got to remember, he had to give Israel in the Old Testament a bill of divorcement. She became a whore. She became a harlot. And he had to give her a bill of divorcement. You so, just uh, wrote a she, book uh, on
2: this, Pastor.
3: Yeah. I, because all of this ties in together with Israel. That's what I'm trying to get people to see. And be careful that you don't castigate and throw stones and become anti-Semitic and be in, in absolute opposition toward God. There were Israeli kings in the Old Testament. They thought they were doing the right thing, Joe, but they were in total opposition against God, and God would have to cut them off. About these people who are listening to people who don't know what they're talking about, there's so many. You know, I know that sounds somewhat arrogant and self righteous, but they don't have an understanding of the scriptures. See, when it says, he's not talking about the church. His wife hath made herself ready in Revelation nineteen seven. That's Israel. That's Jacob's trouble. The day of Jacob's trouble in the Jeremiah thirty and seven. The time of Jacob's trouble. Um, yes, he was he was he was espoused and married to Israel. Uh, and, and joined in with her, but her harlotry. Jeremiah 3.3 3 says, Thou for the showers have been withholden; there hath been no latter rain, because thou hast a whore's forehead, and thou refusest to be ashamed. And then it says in the fourth chapter of Jeremiah, he said, you took on the the, the the very rituals and the very attire and the dress of a prostitute, and you painted your face and everything in Jeremiah 4.29. I mean, you see, it's, it's all there in the Scriptures. And why did she do that? She was trying to entice other lovers. See, she was trying uh, to bring them to her. I said Jeremiah 4:29, Jeremiah 4:30. And when thou art spoiled, what wilt thou do? Though thou clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, though thou rentest thy face with painting and vain, shalt thou make thyself fair? Thy lovers will despise thee, they will seek thy life. She dressed up like a harlot, like a whore I hold that fault. go to Revelation 18 she's the mother of harlots there's your false substitutionary church in the last days that's Satan's church and the same thing she, she's a harlot uh, she's the mother of harlots and she's drunken with the blood of the saints she rides the beast I mean it's all there but you know sometimes we fail to connect the dots but that's what Israel did there in the uh, Jeremiah four thirty. And he says, You renna you painted your face. You did all this in vain. You were uh, actually the Hebrew says you're making your eyes larger because you're looking at men and you're trying to seduce them with this flirtation. You know, when I was growing up, when we were young, I don't know what young people say now, but I'd walk into a room with some of my buddies and they'd say, Hey, she's eyeing you or vice versa, the guy he's eyeing her that out there looking. And even it says that Saul did that to David. He was eyeing David, but not in a sexual way. It was the way to kill him. But he was eyeing him. Says that in I believe in First Samuel. So this is why it's important, folks. Man, I didn't even think we would. I didn't even say any of the stuff tonight. But the Holy Spirit knows what we need to hear. We've got to pay attention to the Word because the Word of God is in season and out of season. Paul said. In other words, there's never a season in our lives that we don't need God's word to instruct us, folks. And 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 we've got to do that, guys. As you just heard, uh, something just went down in the studio there, and so we're still on the air live here for the next five minutes. But but let me encourage every listener tonight. Um, we have we have got to get back into the word. The answers are found in God's Word. It's just like taking a test. The teacher says, have you read the book? If you've read the book, the, the questions are going to line up with what you read in the book. And too many people, I hate to say this, are not reading their Bibles. They're not reading their Bibles because the answers are there. And as, and as the world becomes more uncertain and more tempestuous and and it does look like we're going to have war Uh, Matthew 24 6 and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you be not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet Jesus told us you're going to have war but that's not the end I want you to understand that tonight. Go back and reread the 24th chapter of Matthew. Look at all those things he said. Verse 8, these are the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrows there literally means birth pains, labor pains. And Jesus and John said that when a woman gets ready to have a child, the closer the child is to being born, the more frequent the labor pains and the more severe the labor pains. This is a process. Birth is that's why they call it labor. It's laborious. It hurts. It is hard. It is painful. And we are we are in the birth canal. You know, I don't know exactly where we are in the birth canal. I wouldn't say, but but we're we're headed for something, whether it's a, a constitutional crisis in this nation with Donald Trump and his presidency, whether it's war with Iran. Uh, you see, the the powers that be are God's going to allow them to bring this to fruition. There was a, there was a divine power Pharaoh in Egypt, and that Pharaoh had come into that succession of power at that appointed time, and God said that one, I'm going to harden his heart because the one that Joseph served under was already dead and gone just like Joseph was so this Pharaoh, Ramses that had come into power when Moses encounters him he says who is this God that I should obey well the one that was Pharaoh in Joseph's day would have never said that because he saw how God gave Joseph understanding, interpretation of the dreams, the fat cows the skinny cows, the fat corn, the skinny corn he saw all of that this one didn't see any of that and so his heart was hardened. but this is a process and when it comes time for the Exodus God changed the leadership a different Pharaoh and another man whose name was Moses so so God is putting the players the people in position for what he's going to do we we it's not about us, it's about God's plan, and when you see all of these things uh luke twenty one twenty when these things shall begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads for your redemption, draw with nigh so it's it's happening in different ways, different methods, but you've got to have the word of God, it's the manual. It's the lamp under your feet. It's the light under your path. It is the instruction for your life to show you how you ought to live and how you ought to do. I've enjoyed it. God bless you guys. And I know that Doug and Joel have all this straightened out. Todd will help them get it straightened out for tomorrow night. God bless you. Have a great week. And God willing, I'll see you guys next week at this same time. Everyone have a great week and and a wonderful night. Bye-bye.